0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Who may or may not be listening to the Square Waves FM podcast, welcome, welcome. Um, This is episode number 15. Hallelujah. Um, Oh my God. That's wicked, huh? (laughs) My name is Brian, and I am a chocolate espresso bean, sorry, yeah, chocolate covered espresso bean holic. And with me
2: is. Chris, and I'm a recovering coffee addict, and today is the first day I've drank coffee in one week. Really? Yes.
1: I can't do that. I have you're no... Supposed say, you're supposed to say, hi, Chris. Oh, hi, Chris. There we go. You get your one-week one chip. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you reneged your one-week chip by having that coffee, but I... Oh man. Yeah, I
2: did. I traded, I traded it in. It was It was For worth it. I'm, I'm glad I did it. All right, <laughs> good stuff. Now, now that I've alienated all of the recovering alcoholics of this podcast. Yeah, I know. Me too, huh? <laughs>
1: Well, oh my I gosh, I, I binged like crazy last night on these chocolate-covered espresso beans. My wife, like, went to Bulk Barn uh, and got this, this gigantic sack full of them, and we just, like, munch, 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 munched, and stayed up. That sounds amazing. Well, it didn't even stay up that late. We went to bed at, like, 11 o'clock, but then uh, at, like, 6 o'clock, I think I heard, like, the <laughs> tiniest little bird chirp or something out the window, and my eyes are like, boink. Like, hey, I'm awake now. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck
2: was that? Uh-huh. <laughs> So, when... like, chickadee sounds like a gunshot in your ear. I know. What was that? What was that? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. So, wife wasn't too uh, long behind me. We got had such an early morning. We uh, had a very vigorous shop and uh, came back, and I crashed
2: real hard. So I'm
1: now uh, feeling much better after about an hour and a half of napping.
2: Oh, that sounds amazing. I, I'm such an old man that I have like a rule. I'm not allowed to have like like I'm I've turned into like a fucking gremlin as I've gotten older.
0: Mm-hmm. There's
2: like there's like rules like don't expose them to light after midnight or right. and like my rule now is like no no absolutely no coffee after seven p.m. Mm-hmm. and absolutely no black teas after nine p.m. Oh and yeah, it's that's like, the hard stuff, sure. Oh, it's nasty, man. It's like it's like I. If I have a, if I have like a cup of Earl Grey, which is my favorite thing, tea Earl Grey hot, best thing on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I after nine p.m. I will be wired and my heart will be racing as I'm like laying in bed at midnight, and if I somehow manage to like force myself to fall asleep, or, you know, usually I'll play a game or something until I pass out. Um, I'll have these crazy dreams. I don't even know how to explain them. They're not even quite dreams, they're just these irrational thoughts that just spin around and around like 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 I'll imagine a monkey wrench in my head for four hours and it's just like <laughs> monkey wrench, monkey wrench, monkey <laughs> wrench, monkey wrench <laughs> So I I have no idea how you' we are able to do my two like Two greatest weaknesses on earth together at the same time, espresso bean and chocolate. I know, um, I know. It's that sounds amazing.
1: Unholy matrimony of all the best yeah. stuff all put together. I, Do you think I, about like our, hmm? What's that story? I, I was just remembering I, I think it might have been either a native a native Indian thing or maybe an Asian thing where uh they advise you to have a cup of tea like just right before you go to bed so that you wake up really alert.
2: Oh my but god! Just like a little bit. I don't know. Something like something oh like that that would that would kind of make sense. It's like you you give your your body a few hours to 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 metabolize the uh, caffeine.
1: Yeah, and you're already asleep by then, I suppose.
2: The only uh, the only good Aboriginal uh, uh, knowledge I have is that you drink six glasses of water before you go go to bed, and that'll get you six hours of sleep on the dot. Oh right, but right. Th- then again, I only learned that from Simpson, so I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> I think I did too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right oh, sense like it, our it listeners have bulk barn like is there like a, a, a non-metric equivalent of bulk barn in other places
1: <laughs> the non-metric equivalent, yeah, they have like hogshead barn or whatever I don't know what are the imperial units of
2: they have like court barn. Yeah, because, like, Bulk Barn is like, okay, for anybody who doesn't know what Bulk Barn is, imagine, like, the great, it's so, like the world's greatest idea. You, you plant, like, a big box, a big glass box in the middle of a city, and then you put little boxes within the big glass box and fill them with candy and nuts and shit and, 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 and black licorice and, like, every, like, like, you, you can buy cat shit there, I'm pretty sure. And, and it's just like, as long as you can weigh it out by the 100 gram dose. And, uh, I And, like, that place is, like, the worst place on earth because when you go in, you're like, you know, oh, I, I'm just going to get, like, you know, 50 grams of glossette raisins or something. Uh-huh. And then you you grab the scoop and you scoop out the glossettes and you put them in your bag. I'm like, yeah, that's that's 50 grand. <laughs> then, you, then you go to pay and it's like 275 grams. That'll be $11 for your chocolate-covered raisins. Thank exactly. you very much. Exactly. Uh, uh, now, now that's all I'm going to be thinking about tonight. Maybe I'm going to have to do like a crack cocaine trip to Bulk Barn tonight.
1: <laughs> we'll restrain you if we can. <laughs> well, don't buy the damn espresso beans because oh, we have so, so many good. left. I'm, they're delicious. They're wonderful. We have so many left, and I'm I'm dreading my uh, lack of willpower <laughs> to resist these things. They're so good.
2: Oh, I just like spent like a my girlfriend and I have been watching season five of Star Trek TNG. And Mm. we just saw the episode where, where Deanna Troy gives like her, she's like sitting in 10 forward and she's eating this chocolatey thing. Oh yeah. And then Riker comes up and he's like, what are you doing? And she, she, she like explains to him, the best way to eat this, like, chocolate ice cream concoction. Mm. And, and, like, she practically has a freaking orgasm, like, explaining this to Riker. And I, that, that's what I have in my head when you're, like, savoring each one of these, like, chocolate-covered beans. So <laughs> <laughs> like, first, you must suck on the outside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was your Troy impersonation, I take it. That was,
2: that was my Troy slash Arnie. Yeah. <laughs> the right, okay, I've I've got <laughs> <laughs> I've got that's off track. a little uh, bit. So, oh man, you had a good week. Well, I had a week. Sort of. You had a week. You had a long week.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sorry, folks, for missing our our episode last week. Um, at my work there was this like big conference kind of thing going on, which uh, all of the management was invited to, which uh, excludes me. However, I had the great fortune of participating by being asked to prepare all of these uh, presentations and slides and infographics and timelines and all of these like uh, informational materials. I did a, a gatefold. Uh, brochure, I did all this stuff, which was kind of fun. Wow. I, I love the individual tasks of the stuff that I did, but it was the timeline. Right. Like if they told me a week earlier, I could have done it all lickety split during my regular hours. But instead, in the past, like in seven days, I did like eighteen hours of overtime. So it was a little that's insane, a little bonkers. So that's no good. So that's what I was very busy with last weekend, which excluded us from being able to do the podcast. Sadly, that and uh, the uh, birthday party of my second of my two year old cousin, happy birthday Jordy, he's a, such a yes, sweet, yes, adorable little kid, thank you very much, it was a lot of fun, and, uh, and, uh, hung out with my, uh, wife's cousin and her girlfriend from Ottawa, which was very nice too, ah, so, uh, I, I've, wow. uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a week, it's been a very busy week, I was so frazzled, and I, as much as I enjoy working from home, I do when I don't, because I love being able to, uh, like sit in my underpants and listen to music on the speakers and all that kind of stuff. It's very relaxed, but I don't like having having to impose on my family to kind of tiptoe around me and transforming the whole house into my concentration space. It's just not very fair. So, no,
2: I get it. I get it. That's That's
1: right. Uh how about you? You've had some adventures this these past couple of weeks.
2: <laughs> I had a I had a bit of an adventure. Um yeah, while you were while you were, you know, as you as you coined the term fisher pricing up some brochures Oh, that's right uh, it, i i still don't quite understand the term but i love it uh <laughs> that's that's when um, i'm asked
1: to do something in a big hurry but all i can do is the bare minimum and it looks like crap like it looks childish i it,
2: it's it's interesting because it's weird because in my head fisher priced toys are like they're like the most basic ones, but they're also the most beautiful ones, like the, like, like the Flintstone phone or like that little fake radio that you like turn the knob on and it makes sense.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't complimenting myself by describing my work that way.
2: <laughs> well, while you were doing that, I, I, my girlfriend and I and a friend of ours headed out to the Rocky Mountains, and we, uh, we did what I've now referred to as the, uh, the death race. I haven't really come up with a better term for it, um, it, this wasn't a death race. In fact, this was supposed to be a very easygoing kind of, uh, to put this in perspective, it's this little trail that, um, runs along the highway and it's paved, it's beautiful, and it's meant to be easygoing. There's like, you know, octogenarians doing this as well as five-year-olds, and I'm not joking, they were actually cycling down this little, this, uh, little trail. We saw five-year-old kids, you know, passing by us. There's octogenarians, there's, you know, um... And, you know, I thought, okay, well, this will be fun. It's a short little trip, 20, 30 kilometers. And um, on the way there, it was great. Um, sunny, warm, fun, a little bit windy, but the wind was in our back, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, made it to our little destination, and then we started the pedaling the ride back. And, oh, my God, uh, I forgot. This is early season in Canada, so uh, early in the uh, – sorry, in the – Cycling season in Canada. So the weather changes pretty quickly here, and it went from about 10 to 11 degrees Celsius down to zero. Um, uh, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but let's say it's below freezing or at freezing. It's
1: 32 and,
2: Fahrenheit, um, isn't it? No, well, it's 32 Fahrenheit. There we go. And uh, so it was a 10 degree drop um, in the space of one hour, and on the way back, all of a sudden that wind that was so nicely at our back was you know, blowing in our faces and long story short, I, I started to get a little misty eyed and a little bit teary about five kilometers away from home. I was like, I just <laughs> want it to be over <laughs> I want to get in my bed. And uh we made it. We we froze our hands, froze our toes. Um there was actually a snowstorm uh in the middle of this like <laughs> oh, trip. brutal. It was just nuts. Like I just I just remember like it reminded me of that sentence where Bart and Lisa go to the, the, the camp, Crusty. Yeah. And oh, and and their cabin's uh, falling
1: apart and all. And
2: their cabin's flying apart, and Bart's like, Wait, what does Lisa say? She's like, I think we're going to die, Bart. And he's like... Yeah, we're all going to die. <laughs> oh, we're all going to die, Lisa. She's like, I meant soon. And he's like, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just like, we just had this look in our eyes, that, like we might die on this trail. They'll find our little skeletal bodies in six years. But, Sounds brisk. <laughs> as a, as a, you know, and the worst part was there were like people who were 85, 90 years old flying past us on their road bikes, and we like, you know, pumping and like sweating our way up these hills. And uh, they, yeah, they, they they just shamed us. But I think even the old people were, were were feeling it pretty hardcore. They were like wearing this like slick racing gear and stuff. And uh, when they got to the other <laughs> end, I could just see them like standing there, um, standing there by their cars, just saying like, "Thank God that's over." So. <laughs> it was uh, it was one of those it was, I, I don't know I'm sure everyone has it it's like I don't know how to explain it it's like playing uh, I don't know it's like playing Uncharted or something it's like when you or next nearest example i got to think of a DOS example I'm, I'm losing my edge here it's like playing it's like playing any of those AD&D gold box games okay. you can't quite say that it was enjoyable while you were playing it <laughs> but but once you get to the end you're like ah finally done and then you put it up into your shelf and you never play Treasures of the Savage Frontier or whatever it is ever again. Sure. Um and um But it's under your that's, belt. That's, exactly. It's under your belt and you can say, Oh man, you know, I can't believe I grinded through all fifty two levels of that dungeon. So yeah. Oh, there you go. There, there we go. That's a perfect example of it. It's it's on NetHack. That's what it was. It was I'm gonna refer to this in the future as the NetHack cycling trip.
1: <laughs> oh beautiful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we vanquished the evil demon, and we we got the amulet and uh so yes uh wow, that is the that is like I've been watching too much Star trek. that was the worst metaphor I've come up for something in my life <laughs> uh, You mean it's like a you mean it's like a red balloon that's about to blow up in the air um, <laughs> that's right <laughs> oh star trek um so anyway, yeah. yes, um, it was a good weekend um my girlfriend and I uh, have been working outside. She recently graduated. Uh congratulations, yes. Yay, she finished that's... her Yeah, she finished her degree and she's uh up and ready to move into the real world of the working slob and uh she uh she got to celebrate a bit. She bought herself a bottle of wine and she well, I bought her a bottle of wine and she went over to a friend's place and her and her friend uh got pretty wasted and played Mario Kart all night and I thought, mm-hmm. uh, that's a pretty a pretty good way to to finish the uh, a five year, a five year marathon with.
1: Absolutely, so. kill any brain cells
2: you may have cultivated along the way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is just like hitting the reset button.
0: Yeah. So <laughs>
2: it was uh, it was it was great. So we had a we had a pretty good week, and uh, I'm really excited to be back. Because oh yeah, me too. I've I've been playing stuff. How about you? I've been playing. Well, I've been doing lots of
1: playing, but probably fewer games than I play during most two week stints? Sure. Um... I, oh, by the way, since you mentioned Mario Kart, I did watch recently a speedrun of, a part of a speedrun of Mario Kart 64, which I think is the one that oh, um, you guys were playing. Yeah, yeah, that was the one we were playing, yes. Oh, and there's all these cool, like, this is one of those games that you play, you know, the people play to death, and it's a couple of decades older, it's so, and, right. uh, there are so many little, uh, exploitable bugs and hacks and stuff in it, there are little things where, oh. if you, like, fall off the side in just the right place, then the little Lakitu cloud guy puts you like right behind the finish line so that you can cheat your You're way into doing like, a four-second lap, all of this really cool stuff, like jumping over oh of segments of the fence, which you have to do at a certain speed, at a certain angle, by jumping off this one little stray like polygon jutting out of the side. It's really awesome Jesus. watching these people doing this, these precision things, so they do okay, the whole... Okay, that sounds amazing. Oh, They did the whole game in, I think, like, 30 minutes or something, which is like... Oh my 16 god, tracks. like, like awesome. basically all of the tracks? Holy cow. Yeah, every track from beginning to end, so it's like <laughs> two minutes or less per track, which is very cool. Oh,
2: we did find a bug in, in Mario Kart 64, though. Um, yeah, you just reminded me of it. There was a part, um... Uh, My girlfriend fell off an edge on the, I think it's the Bowser's Castle uh, Mm. one, which is you have to race through the castle. It's a really annoying one. You run and stuff. She fell off of a a fortress edge, and she fell into a black pit that she did not die from and the cloud would not rescue her from. Ah. So she got totally screwed for the entire race and just basically, like, just sat down there at the bottom of the pit waiting for the race to be over. Um and I was like, wow, I didn't realize this game actually had bug bugs in it still. That's
1: crazy. Well, I like to think of Nintendo's first-party games as being relatively bug-free, but then I see these speedruns yeah. and stuff, and they're just, like, rife with little exploits. And uh, even in uh, Super Mario Brothers 1, which I played to death, there's all these yep. bugs and stuff that you can exploit to do these double jumps and stuff like that. It's really oh, crazy. neat to see. Stuff that I probably never would have found or wouldn't have recognized it if I would seen it, but uh, cool to see that kind of a thing in action.
2: Oh, that's interesting, because I was, I was one of those kids that would lie about when I was, like, when I was in grade five or grade six, um, I would lie about finding secrets in games, mm. um, to, have, to have some bragging rights at school, and uh, <laughs> I, got, I got totally caught once because um, I lied about finding a third flute in uh, Mario 3. Um, do you remember uh, the flutes you can get the warp whistles? I um, do.
1: I thought there might actually have been three flutes, as a matter of fact.
2: There might have been, but the I think the problem was can't I lied have them all at once or it, something. you you can't have them all at once, and I also lied in a, a way too specific manner uh, if I, if I had a, if I would have just said, "Oh yeah, well, I found this cool flute, but you guys will never find it." Uh-huh. Uh, I would have been safe instead, I was like, "Oh, it's on like world Six six, and you have to jump behind this one block uh. and then how oh, I was terrible I, I had forgotten I had lied, so this was you know I think this was maybe you know what, this must have been grade 6 or grade 7, mm-hmm. because one of my friends invited me over to his house for a birthday, and he's like, hey, you can show me the warp now.
0: Uh-oh.
2: And, oh, it was terrible. I'm like, okay, in my head, I'm like, we'll never get to World 6-6, six, six, so it doesn't matter. Or it wasn't World 6-6, six, six, it was World 6-3. Because um, I don't think 6-6 six, six exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and I was like, oh, there's no way we'll get there. And he's like, oh, look, I already played this up to that point so you can finally show me in that room. He's like, I tried it like a 100 times the way you told me how to do it. And I guess this kid had like spent weeks trying to do it the way that I told him. And I was just, <laughs> oh, like, it's, and then, that's, why, that's why, yeah, kids don't lie. It's like it's never going to help you in life. Sure, I, well, <laughs> It's what kids do. <laughs> it's what kids do, exactly. And I, I, I did the dumbest thing possible. I compounded the lie. I told him that I had. Oh, this this has got worse. I told him that I had like a special copy of Super Mario Three, ah. uh and and that I couldn't do it on his, and th- and that started raising some eyebrows. And then you know, of course, word got around that I uh, about this stuff, and then and then kids found out I didn't even have a Nintendo, and then I was <laughs> oh. done. I was done. I had no credibility ever again. Oh shit. <laughs> So yes. If you're gonna if you're gonna exploit some bugs, at least make them real. <laughs> I
1: guess so. Oh and, and speaking of exploiting bugs too, I also watched a seventeen or so minute speedrun of Ultima Underworld. Which really blew my mind. That was an awesome one to watch. That one I watched from beginning to end, just because I had... How in the
2: hell do you finish that game in 17 minutes?
1: Oh, so this one was very much dependent on exploits as well. I think before before the guy started, he probably rolled his character a few times, because while you're creating your character, then it kind of rolls the dice on various... Uh, your various uh, attributes, and it's not like you get a certain number of points spent over the various attributes every time. Sometimes you'll get right. lots of points, and sometimes you'll get right. few. So you got to recreate your character a few times. He might have skipped that, maybe not. But uh, most, okay. of the, uh, most of the most of the the speedrun was dependent on this one bug. I think I might have described it on the podcast before where if you have a potion, you can like throw it against the wall a few times until it shatters and becomes a pile of debris. And so okay. you can put that pile of debris back in your inventory and it's still usable as the potion but it oh, never disappears right. so it's actually
2: reusable. <laughs> Was it, did he use like a like a flight potion or something or like a yeah an invisibility was, potion? It was
1: mostly it was mostly the flight potion that he used. There were a few of them. I think one of them was a healing potion, and I don't know what the other ones were. He had two or three or four of these little piles of debris that he put in these specific parts of his inventory, so he could tell which was which. Um, so he spent most of the speed run flying uh, above the heads of lots of stuff. But I don't even think he killed a single monster over the entire speedrun, which was really <laughs> awesome. He's just, like, flying, like, running past these guys, flying past these guys, doing these precision jumps that he had obviously practiced over and over, and that is oh, a game that's, that's with tricky because, jumps.
2: Yeah, I was just about to say, the game, it has the most, the trickiest jumps I've ever seen in my life. They are completely, um, because Ultimate Underworld, if I remember correctly, you're... Your your running speed ramps up like you don't you start off at a kind of a slowish walkish jog and then you hit full tilt after a few seconds of walk, of, of running, and that totally changes your jump arc. Um, I think I actually think I there's up.
1: two there's two walk buttons. One of them is like oh, slow walk oh, exactly. and one is fast it. walk. And there's not much. That's what
2: it is. Or you use there's the mouse actually, between. and
1: you can hold the mouse higher or lower on the screen, and that dictates yeah. your uh, specific run speed.
2: That's right. And I just remembered like your arc changes so radically according to whether you're fast walking or slow walking
1: yeah very much so so this guy did some really cool things where like he would hit the uh he would hit the uh exactly the platform that he wanted to land on like right at the pinnacle of his jump so you know that he knew exactly how fast to run and exactly where to jump from and when he'd practiced it so many times that was extremely impressive stuff that was a lot of fun to watch that's so incredible.
2: I, that sounds like very acrobatic because, um,
0: yeah, it
1: was. I don't
2: know, for anybody who has never played Ultima Underworld, I know we've talked about it at least once or twice on the podcast. Um, this is a no-brainer. If you've never played an Ultima, um, I used to suggest Ultima 7, but ever since we started talking about it, um, and I got the chance to test or replay it a little bit, I realized, you know what, Ultima 7 might be a little overwhelming for people. It's too big of a world. Um it's very hard to get into, yeah. It, it is, yeah, and it, it pays off huge. But it is really hard to get into. And I realize Ultima Underworld is the exact opposite. It just dumps you in this situation, and then you've got to escape, you know, escape from the uh, escape from the dungeon. And it it just does it really, really, really well. And it's it's contained. You know, you can probably, I mean, with a good hint guide, maybe, or a couple of hints along the way, you could probably finish the game in under what ten, fifteen hours. I'm not even sure.
1: Did. I'm not sure. Oh, I, I, I never sure did never either. Did. Yeah, that's, I it's, never it's I never
2: finished it. I, I would actually run into bugs by the 6th or 7th level of the dungeon, and it would always make the game unfinishable.
1: Mm, yeah, I did have a problem once or twice with inventory items disappearing. disappearing? I think I had an issue with, Me like, too. if you put more than, like, seven or so items inside of a bag, then there's a chance that it might not come back when you load your game or something <laughs> like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. There's, like, a Russian roulette, and it would say corrupted inventory list. Mm. Uh, when you loaded your game, and it was just like your heart would just sink because the game only has four save slots, and you'd right. better pray that you didn't have that corruption in all four of your slots, and inevitably, for me, that's what would happen. Um, they claim to have patched it, etc., etc. but honestly, Underworld, Ultima Underworld itself, even if you don't finish it, it had some interesting stuff. Do you remember uh, there's a part of the game where you have to talk to a lizard man and learn the lizard man language?
1: Yeah, that's incredible.
2: I love that. I, can, English, I still
1: remember a lot of their language a good to this sequence.
2: day. It was very yeah, good. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I remember uh, it, it out this with friends. Lizard men kind of speak in this like slithery kind of tongue thing. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was just this great dialogue system where you slowly have to, tr- to train yourself to learn how to speak lizard man. And um, it was just really, really well done. Um, I was really impressed.
1: Yeah, well, the uh, team, I can't remember what they're called now, Otherworld or something like that, the ones who are making a spiritual successor now that yes. they just successfully kick-started, they uh, held a little uh, carrot in front of people's noses as one of their ultimate stretch goals, which I think they just barely surpassed before being successfully funded, which was to add Lizardmen to the new uh Oh, new that game. sounds
2: great oh well, that's man cool. so i'm sure that's not coming oh. out
1: for another three years or so but i'm sure looking forward to that I, I back to that one in a heartbeat no question
2: i'm all over it i think um yeah we've mentioned arcs fatalis before that was yeah. the spiritual successor to it was basically Ultima underworld three without the name and mm-hmm. it was a really 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 good game um if you want, if you're interested in the, the type of players interested in interesting uis the game has a gesture based magic system do you remember that
0: yeah,
1: I was not very good at it. Either it wasn't very good
2: or I wasn't very good. It, 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 it was interesting. I don't know it's if it was good idea. or not. I, it was a great idea, exactly. It was a little bit, of, little bit of easier execution, I think. It would work really, really well, um, but uh, I remember it was a little tedious at times.
1: Oh, like, if ever there was a, a a casting system that would benefit, like, the Wii mote or, like, yes, Oculus exactly. Rift hand controls or something, that was totally it. Like, imagine waving your hand in a certain pattern in order to cast a spell. That would be super fun. But doing it with my mouse, I was just not all that good at it. Yeah, it, so
2: it was like you painted lot. you painted the rune, the rune shape, so you actually had to learn runic effectively to uh, cast your spells, which I really love. That's, like, a very Ultima-ish kind of thing to force the player to do.
1: It was like it was like trying to play Ultima on uh, Palm Pilot. You remember yeah. uh, the yeah. Palm Pilot having to learn like that uh, I don't remember what their uh, abbreviated graffiti. language was called. Graffiti. that's it. Yeah, where you would like do two of the <laughs> three strokes to do a letter A or something like that. That's, that's totally right. what it felt like.
2: But, that's uh, exactly what it was like. And it, I remember um, seeing Graffiti for the first time. Um, I think I mentioned on this podcast that when I was 15 years old, I worked in an ISP. Hmm. Um, it happened to be at the exact same time the very first Palm Pilot came out, um, I think it was called like the Palm 3 or something like that, or Palm 2, it was a very antiquated little piece of machinery, but it did have graffiti on it, mm-hmm. and I remember my boss demoing me graffiti, and that guy, he would just sit, sit in his bed at night, like doing little, like closing his eyes, doing like graffiti paints with his finger in the air. Um, <laughs> And he was so good at it. I remember thinking, like, we'd have little competitions who could, like, write out little sentences as fast as possible because the uh, Palm Pilot was such a completely useless device for the first couple of years it was out. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. I got good at that uh, graffiti language, and I thought it was fairly intuitive. You just kind of had to think about which of the one or two strokes you were omitting, and I got really exactly.
2: good at that. Yeah, that exactly. The fun. trick was, like, remembering that you, you, you never want to lift your pen. That was, uh, that was the trick. And exactly. uh, you can get, you can do almost all of them without lifting your pen. So <laughs> mm. that's right. That's I learned great. later
1: on that uh, that graffiti language was based on something called shorthand, which was like oh. a, a method for taking notes. It was used by like receptionists and secretaries and executive assistants who had to take really fast notes
0: during
2: meetings. You're a meeting. kidding me.
1: So it was like this kind of runic-looking scrawl language that was that, most of the strokes of English language. Yeah, and then they could like translate it back into uh, or transliterate it back into uh, regular English fairly quickly. But uh, it was a skill that they uh, used to uh, teach formally, which is a Holy really cool crap. concept. So it's called shorthand. Yeah, I always thought that was just like uh, I don't know. I just thought. Uh, shorthand was like a, a a generic term for something that you were yeah an expression yeah exactly but it's an actual thing it's a, like a written abbreviated uh, oh, English language. Pretty you cool. just gave
2: me so- now, now you gave me something I need to do this week. I'm going to learn how to write shorthand.
1: Oh, there you go. Like,
2: I love it. It sounds like so so like secretive. Like, um, native people back in like the uh, like even 75 years ago used um, uh, spoken hand languages um, mm-hmm. in. And they, like, would have, like, very quick ways of saying things to each other. And I noticed even my grandfather, um, he, he, uh, he did a little bit of uh, um, hand language when he was talking. And I always assumed it was just expressive, like, a, as a part of the way people wave their hands around.
0: Hmm.
2: Until um, so I found out much later on, i like, no, 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 that's, like, the way that they used to say stuff without even saying stuff out loud. And I'm like, that's oh, that's cool. insane. And I'm like, I- maybe, maybe I can, like, adapt shorthand for that. That sounds cool. That's very cool.
1: I, I read something similar, and I think it might have been from one of. uh, Oh, shoot. Why can't I remember his name now? Famous hacker who went to jail.
0: Um, oh, uh, Kevin Mitnick?
1: Kevin Mitnick. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think it was from one of his books that I read about yep. communicating with other people while incarcerated. And they came up with a way, like, sometimes there, there were periods of time where they weren't just allowed to talk at all, and so they would, like, right. point to, like, an the different segments of their hand to indicate like they, they would break the uh, English alphabet into, uh, oh, into segments of five. And then yes. they would first point to one part of their finger and then another part. And that would that's indicate actually, one letter of the alphabet.
2: That's funny. I actually learned how to do that when I was in elementary school. Um, hmm. It's like mapped out. It's, it's mapped out according to the segments of your hand.
1: Yeah. So he said he got really fast at it. Oh, that's crazy. Me. He's a smart guy.
2: Oh, that's crazy! I didn't realize that. Uh, wow, that's that's insane. I remember when I was a mm-hmm. kid, I would um, I don't know why I did this, but I would actually lay in bed and imagine I had a computer keyboard at my fingertips, uh-huh. and I would like type out stuff to myself in my head, and I can I can still do it right now. I'm like I'm writing right my through. name right now. It's like I can.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did the exact same thing. Oh, and I remember doing that vividly. I don't know why this came into my mind recently, but I yep. you heard. I think I heard on the radio once they were talking about the longest. Very. I don't know. They're talking about like quirks of the uh, QWERTY keyboard layout. Yes. And so apparently the longest one-handed word that you can type is stewardesses. And I know that <laughs> you and all of our listeners are going to start typing that with their left hand. It's just so that's rewarding. Tri-
2: oh, that's funny. You're right. You can yeah, reach I them all. Too. Isn't that great? Oh, uh, that's funny. I. That's weird though because it, it's making me use fingers I don't normally use on my left. Like I actually. I kind of have, like, a little claw-like use of my fingers. Like, there's two, my middle finger and my ring finger, I, I, I never use it all when I'm typing. In fact, I barely even use my pinky. Um, oh, I do it all properly
1: I, now. I didn't used to, but since it's started wow.
2: class, I do it all properly. So you, learn, you learn the official way, hey?
1: Yeah, I used to use, like, four fingers, basically, in my thumb uh, for yeah. all my childhood until in high school... Ours was apparently the very last class to still use typewriters. We had these electric typewriters, and they were fun to use. (laughs) Very, very last semester before they replaced them, I think, with IBM PC Juniors or something like that. Right, Uh, right. Which were probably less reliable than the typewriters, now that I think of it, and like twice the price. (laughs) But uh, they taught me how to type properly, and I never forgot. I'm much better off for it. I added like another 30 words per minute or so to my speed by doing it the proper way.
2: That's crazy. That's amazing. I... uh... No, I, I ended up just having to make my my three finger method uh, more efficient, more and more efficient over time. Um, mm-hmm. And, but yeah, it's, that's interesting. I, what always bugged me about QWERTY, and then uh, this is, yeah, this is getting us way off track. But I, I really never liked that it was an it was an intentionally crafted style to slow down typing to prevent jams on the typewriter. I, yeah, I, that's I, I think right. most people know that it's really annoying. Um, yeah you know, it, it intentionally slows down our hands where, you know, I, I, I long, I will marry someday when I meet the programmer who 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 typed in, uh, what's it called, uh, um, oh shit, what's his name, he's like that crotchety fucking programmer oh, who has his own Dvorak. keyboard layout. Dvorak. <laughs> I will, uh, some, some guy one day is going to be like, hey, do you want to learn Dvorak? I'll be like, marry me.
1: <laughs> Why well, can you actually type that way, or you just want to?
2: No, I can I just wish I. I wish somebody would teach me how to type Dvorak because um, Dvorak layout is. I remember people who would pry at apart. Well, actually, this is interesting. Uh, for a while, Apple used to sell Dvorak um, Dvorak keyboards um, huh. as part of yeah, as part of their product line. Hmm. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, you could you could by special order get a Dvorak format keyboard for your uh, Macintosh.
0: Cool. Um,
2: yeah, but um, I remember there was instructions online of how to pry apart your keyboard, your IBM keyboard, to turn it into a Dvorak, and uh, hmm. I never did it. I regret that. Neato. So, all yeah, right. I guess I, it's probably, probably not, not relevant.
1: <laughs> probably not. <laughs> oh,
2: all right. So what else have you been playing? What have I been playing? All right. So
1: most of my two weeks have been spent playing Grand Theft Auto V, which I mentioned briefly uh, in our last podcast I have finished it now um it's a very very good game um the the ending sucked there were like three different endings, and you know which you know when it's time to choose which of the three endings you want. And I chose, you know, there's the obvious, hooray, happy ending, and there were two other ones, which I thought, okay, sure. well, I know what's going to happen in the happy ending. Maybe I'll try one of the other ones. So I tried right. one, and it was unsatisfying and stupid and obvious. And then I looked at all uh, three of the endings on YouTube, and they are all pretty much what I expected they were going to be. But uh, oh. you don't really
2: play those games for the ending, necessarily. Or yeah, that's pa- right. That's right. I don't think I've even seen the ending to any of the GTAs myself, to be honest.
1: Oh, I've earned the endings for I think all of them except for Grand Theft Auto One and Two, which are just too hard for me. Those are hard games. Are, do those even have endings? I was kind of wondering. Or do they are do they run infinitely? That's a good question. I'm pre, I'm positive number two does. Number one, I just oh, okay. don't know whether it's a sandbox with a bunch of random uh, yeah exactly quests or what. Uh, uh, listeners, by all means, please let us know. Um, yeah, but the, I know Grand Theft Auto One is just takes forever for like. There's no save intermediate save points, as I recall. You just have to right. do well enough that you get through the whole first level in like one shot, and then you can start on the second level. I think the save is just at the beginning of each level. So I did that yes. once ever. And I think wow. the second city was like Jamaica, or a city in Jamaica, or something like that. So I don't know. Right. I hardly remember.
0: did.
1: Yeah, I got a whole bunch of that. <laughs> uh, so, Grand Theft Auto V doesn't do a whole <laughs> lot more than the other Grand Theft Auto's Uh, to date have done, but it does a little bit more. Um, And I've also been playing a little bit online with my wife. She uh, wasn't going to get the game. She didn't really care about the game. And then as I loaded the uh, launcher on the day that the game was supposed to come out, it has this little uh, ticking timer down to when the game is about to be launched. And, of course, she looks over and she's like, okay, I guess (laughs) guess the anticipation is getting to me. So we bought her a copy, too. So (laughs) she finished it like three or four or five days before I did which is cool. Okay. I think it's the first Grand right. Theft Auto she ever finished, and it's definitely wow. easier than the other Grand Theft Autos. It's like designed okay. to be finished, but uh, nice. it's just one of those like sumptuous, gorgeous, amazing games that you just want to inhabit for a long time. So she was focused on getting through the story, but me I would just stop doing objectives and go for a walk or participate right. in all the little right. optional things, and I saw a whole bunch of stuff that she didn't. And uh, that was very rewarding had a really nice time with it. So um a few things I wrote down a few things that uh, surprised me about it. Um <laughs> one is uh one of the optional activities is that you can participate in triathlons. Um oh, really? you have these uh physical attributes of I think it's like stamina and strength and maybe there's a third one, I don't know, but uh Okay. However good you are at those things determines how good you are at the different legs of the triathlon. So I finally maxed out all of my attributes which you more or less do just by playing the game so i just waited right. long enough until i was maxed out and you're pretty well guaranteed to win as long as you uh can steer
2: <laughs> so, so what kind of so like what kind of racing is it is it like um what's the word is it like uh uh shit what's that game called it was like this amazing arcade game where you slam the buttons as fast as you can oh yeah track and field uh, world, world cl- oh yeah track and field was it like track and field style racing
1: no, not really. Well, thank goodness it was more about like holding a button down than by oh, than, okay. like, slamming the buttons, and especially because so there's three triathlons in this series, each one getting a little bit harder. The first one is probably like four minutes, and the second one is like seven minutes or thereabouts. Um, right. Where first you swim. And then you run up onto the beach uh, after going through the waypoints in the water. Then you get on a bike, and you bike through the different waypoints along different uh, paths. And then you get off the bike, and you have to uh, run for the last leg of the triathlon yes. until you get to the finish line. Um, so the third of these three triathlons, uh, and there's like a running timer for the whole time. The third one was took me almost 30 minutes. Oh my Which is god! Crazy. I just had no idea when the damn thing was going to end. The swimming part was longer <laughs> than either of the other triathlons, like from That's start ridiculous. to finish. It was ridiculous, and you basically most of it is the uh, like you swim across a big expanse, like a big uh, lake. Then. Yep the bicycle, you basically go, like, across the whole map, more or less, on your bicycle, and then just, like, wow. a five minutes of running at the end. So the cycling was a lot of fun, because you, like, go on these different uh, elevations, and when you're going down, you have Whoa. to do these, like, long sweeping loops so that you don't go down too fast or crash <laughs> or anything, and it's pretty uh, prescriptive uh, about exactly which paths you're supposed to follow, right. from waypoint to right. waypoint, you know, where which route you're supposed to take. Oh,
2: so it's so it's waypoint-based. That's what I was about
1: to ask. Yeah, the waypoints are rarely more than, like, 30 seconds apart. They're a little further okay. apart for the swimming because all you do is just go in a straight line. Um, right, but it's uh, a fun, just like all the racing in Grand Theft Auto. It's kind of a fun uh, combination of. Uh, steering and, like, orienteering, because you have to keep half an eye on the map at all times to make sure that you're about to take the sure. correct turn and not one turn before or one turn after. So that was really nuts. But what uh, what I liked the most about the triathlon was that, you know, in the Grand Theft Auto universe, everybody kind of has a chip on their shoulder for no particular reason. And so if somebody, if you pass somebody, it's not like you just kind of like breathe a little breath because you're right. busy running. You have to yell a little something to them. And so, I, or they yell <laughs> (laughs) something to you so i ran past somebody and this guy the other guy that i just passed he goes dick (laughs) and my wife just cracked up died laughing at that and that's basically what happens every time you pass someone they like curse your mother or they curse your very soul or so it's just
2: great oh that's awesome that's that's a great feature oh man gt is like the angriest cities i've ever seen in my life I pretty
1: well. Well, conversely, which was kind of a nice thing, you have the option, I played with a keyboard and mouse, that's the only way I've ever played any Grand Theft yep. Auto game, the only way I care to, so y- your use button is the E key, and so while you're going for a walk, if you're walking past another pedestrian, you can press your E key, um, and uh, uh, there's like, I would say, like a, f- a 4 out of 5 chance that you'll just say something nice, you'll be like, hey, what's up dog, and they'll be like, oh hi, and you just say hello to your neighbor. <laughs> which is really wow. cool and every wow. now and then you'll say hello and one guy will go on this like five sentence rant about his life and his problems and you just keep walking and they start like following you and talking talking <laughs> talking it's very funny
2: oh that's great, so some get, great stuff. there's gonna be an ambulance passing by here for the next oh, it's pretty minute quiet. or so it's okay good quiet. so um, what else
1: we um then we did some multiplayer stuff um and I don't like the multiplayer in this one as much as I did in the previous games. In the previous, in Grand Theft Auto 4, I mean, which is the only other one with multiplayer, I think. Yeah. You would start up your own little instance, and it would just be the two, or however many of your friends you had invited. Oh, there were also, like, random pickup groups, but I never did that. I just played with my wife. And we would just smash around or do a little activity. There were planned activities, but we didn't really do those. Sure. We would just kind of race or smash around or whatever, kill a bunch of people. All these wholesome activities. <laughs> but now in Grand, oh, Grand Theft Auto 5, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, in Grand Theft Auto 5, there's no private instances really. There's just their okay. online servers that you have to join. And you can make a private game, but you're still connecting over the internet to their servers. You can't just set up a yes. yes. totally private session, which is a little unfortunate, and that's a bit of a deterrent, but. Uh, I put up with that a little bit, and I like gained a few levels on my character, which unlocks a few different scenarios. So one thing I got to do was play uh, golf with oh. my wife. There's a golf course, a nine-hole golf course in the middle of the city, which you can play as NPC- uh, as uh, your in-game characters. Which yeah, is funny, I remember like you mentioned the golf thing swearing. last time. I didn't
2: realize you could do it in multiplayer.
1: I was hoping you could do it in multiplayer, and you can. And it really is like oh, awesome. as much fun as any of the Tiger Woods games or anything like that. It's... <laughs> Like the three-click uh, interface like links right. back in the day. And just playing that online in a game that is otherwise meant to be about like traversing great distances and lots of minute-to-minute action, it's just awesome that you get to do that. I really appreciate that. So there was a fun little cool. golf game. Uh, I beat my wife once, and she beat me the second time. And I don't know if we'll play it again, but it was a good time. Um <laughs> Oh um there's a voice chat where you like hold down a button and uh and uh, it records your microphone and oh. it does a really funny job of exploiting that sometimes um I bought an apart uh, when you pre-order the game, you get all of this like multiplayer in-game cash. So we both bought apartments, yep. and you can invite people to your apartments, and you have like a wine bottle and like a a bong and all of this, these things that you can <laughs> partake in. Um, but uh, when you start the game initially, you are in the shower, and it says uh, sing into your sing in the shower for experience points. And so you have to hold down your microphone, and you have to start singing oh into my God. it. God there's a little meter that detects when you're actually making noise. And so if you're in a big multiplayer game, there's like 16 other people hearing you singing in the shower, which is very funny. That's a really cool okay, thing fantastic. to do. I really appreciate that. I thought that was great. So, I don't know. Quickly, what else did I do? There's a little... Um, uh, there's a little fair on the, like a carnival on a pier. So my wife and I rode a roller coaster in multiplayer together. That was a pretty special experience. And a Ferris wheel. It, you just sit there and, like, <laughs> absorb this ride passively, which is a really cool thing to be able to do in, like, a sandbox in multiplayer. Uh, that's all I'll say about Grand Theft Auto 5 really. It was a very, very enjoyable game. I'm glad I paid, you know, I'm glad I bought it at launch. It was a pretty stable launch, all things considered. I did have some crashes. Uh, more crashes okay. than I would have liked, uh, honestly, but the oh. auto-save was good enough, and the load times were good enough that it didn't bug me too much. Beautiful. So it was a stunning game, ran really nicely. Um, I'll talk quickly about two other things that I've played, and I'll turn it over to you. Um, one okay. of them that I haven't put too much time into yet is Broken Age Part 2, which just came oh. out yes, last week. Yes, that's right. Um, I'm really enjoying it a lot. I love the dialogue. I love... Uh, I don't want to spoil anything because it's a brand new game but I just love the protagonists and the scenarios that they find themselves in um and just hearing your protagonist versus the people that they talk to, their little uh, combinations of dialogues and the, the butting heads in terms of their uh, personalities, like it's just so right. well written and the voice acting is so good. I just am in love with the whole scenario, the whole setting, and the it, it's it's very uh, it's very pleasant and peaceful. I find to play. Um, right. That being said, I've gotten stuck on both of the characters that are selectable, and I don't really I didn't get stuck at all. On the first half on either yeah of them. I, or if I did get stuck, it was for a very, very short time, so I'm like stuck stuck on both of them. Oh. which is pretty frustrating, so I might just revert to a walkthrough because I'm so interested to learn the rest of the uh, story so the
2: story so the story's still keeping you uh, threading you along. Yeah, it is,
1: um, and some little things that are hinted at are uh, are uh, made much more clear <laughs> and are confirmed uh, as soon as you start the second okay. half, so it's uh, it's got its hooks into me. That's for sure. I will. I uh, will do my uh, best to finish that this weekend.
2: Yeah, I'm not at all surprised by the whole um, difficulty level change because uh, my girlfriend and I watched some of the Double Fine Adventure uh, behind the scenes videos. Um, mm. I think. I think there might be one or two new ones we haven't seen yet. But um, one of the main goals they had for part two was to amp up the difficulty because the number one complaint about the first game was that it was too easy. Um, you know, mm. he was. He was trying to. Market it to hardcore adventure gamers, and you know, those are folks who have already dealt with ridiculous puzzles all of their life. And I think, I think the attitude was like, "Oh, this game's too easy because it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not." I think he was trying to please two different gods. You know, one, one being the hardcore adventure gamer that supported him on Kickstarter, and also potentially the new non-adventure player that has never seen a puzzle in their life and was trying to attract a new audience, so... You can't make all those people happy, it's true. Exactly, they're mutually exclusive uh, uh, audiences.
1: Completely different ends of the spectrum. But me, I really didn't mind the difficulty level of the first half. It was totally easy, but it was like four hours of entertainment and I thought that was a good value for the money and I wasn't frustrated and I was always progressing. That felt like just right to me. I really... Have no problem with a relatively easy adventure game because it moves at a, a decent pace. The first time I see it, that's not yeah, a bad thing, yeah. I don't think.
2: Exactly, and it keeps the story moving along, which is always always really nice. I'm I'm to be honest, I'm not I'm not somebody who gets super excited about um, you know very uh, logic based puzzles that you you know I know everyone likes the experience of sitting on the bus and saying oh I finally know how to I don't know use the anti zombie salt on the zombie corpse inside the graveyard and then you rush yeah. home and you do it in and it works but the thing is that that was, that was exciting when we were 12 years old um, <laughs> and you know being, being in our most of us who listen to this podcast or um, and us included are in our 30s or 20s and now you know there's a, there's a price tag that comes with, with getting stuck and the price tag is usually for me I'm not going to finish the game um
1: yeah yeah or at the very least that you feel like your time has been wasted walking around
2: in circles exactly and i hate walking around in circles if i yeah. if, in my experiences yeah when when i have to do that in a game I, my my interest level starts to really drop really really fast um but yeah anyway sorry you were you were saying you so you played broken age what else have you uh gotten your hands on this week
1: All right, the last one I'm going to mention is uh, a jam game, an adventure game jam. There was just a two-week adventure game jam event, um, and uh, I was asked initially to participate by means of uh, writing a a theme song by uh, our our lovely dear friend and former uh, podcast contributor, Trolls. He made uh, an adventure game called What's in the Safe? which he did in, like, it's an adventure game studio game, and he did it in the first-person, kind of in mist style, yep. where you click around, you don't see your protagonist, but it's all through your protagonist's eyes. Um, I really, really liked it a lot, actually. Um, I, I played through that. It took maybe about an right. hour or less to get through it, and it was just very kind of dark and macabre in its theme, and he's got a great narrative voice. He's, like, sarcastic and funny and it was a really enjoyable, like logical game where I didn't really get stuck anywhere. That same sort of a thing. I always felt like I was progressing, and it had some fun little twists, and it had a good story, kind of like a Twilight Zone episode. Okay. Is what the, awesome. the sort of like light sci-fi kind of a theme was. But he uh, put the whole game together, taking pictures of his neighborhood, and I think one of his one area was his workplace. Uh, so there's a great sense of presence, and he went to this like. Uh, a construction area, and he calls this right. like post-apocalyptic Earth, which works <laughs> well enough, because he has all these like great descriptions of how oh, I think this must have been like a this must be like the burnt-out shell of an old building or something like that, and it looked close <laughs> enough to almost be that, so I'm very, very oh, impressed that's with awesome. just how much content and how much game he was able to de- uh, design in two weeks. I can't Plus, you, uh, is,
0: he
1: hmm. pulled off a one-hour experience in two weeks. Exactly. I'm really impressed, and it, it's uh... Not overly long, but it's got a pretty good bit of dialogue and like uh, descriptions of things that you can look at. He really worked hard on it and dedicated himself to it. And plus, what I think I like most of all is, you know, I did provide him a theme song, uh, which plays twice, once in the intro and once in the ending credits. But oh, he also oh, did these like little uh, short derivative songs that borrow elements, and he kind of like rewrote parts of it as well to wow. kind of make minimal... Uh, iterations of it, which he plays throughout the game, and it uh, works thematically really, really well, and it sounds uh, spooky and mysterious, so hats off to Trolls, he's a very talented
2: fellow. Oh, I can't wait to play it someday, Trolls, that sounds great.
1: Yeah, well, I will put a link to the Adventure Game Jam, as well as uh, a few people's games. I put a little call out on Twitter saying if anybody else wanted me to stick their game in the show notes, I would do so. so. Great. Uh, Troll's game is called What's in the Safe, um, we got one from Decaffeinated Jedi, who had a oh, game cool. called Late Last Night, and another guy named Gordon Zuckhold who had a game called Last Case, The Disappearance of Amanda Kane." so I will stick oh. all of that stuff in the show notes, it's all free, excellent games for uh, our listeners to check out.
2: That sounds amazing, do you know who set up the Adventure Game Jam? No, I don't. I
1: should look into it. I've, it's yeah, the kind of thing I've always wanted to participate in, but I just am not well-practiced enough with the engine to put anything coherent together in that time.
2: Oh, that's great. That, that sounds really neat. I, I was just wondering if it was one of the jams uh, that came out of the Adventure Game uh, Studio forums, or if it was, uh, it was external to that. That's, that's I think really it was I'm...
1: open-ended in terms of whatever engine you wanted to use. I know the AGS oh, okay. forums have their own... I think they yes, have at they least do. two jams. They, have, they have like a week. Yeah, so that's the right, Oro that we, and Meg.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, those are those are pretty amazing competitions. For anybody who's listening who's not um, familiar with the Adventure Game Studio world, it's this whole little culture of itself. Um, and it lives on the Adventure Game Studio forums. But the one thing that they have, and I, I would suggest this for anybody who's really excited about Adventure Games and wants to get into making them, um, um, is just to instead of trying to learn how to make a game and doing it the you know just just enter a one room one week contest it's called they're called oro o r o w and um they're held occasionally at the adventure game studio forums and it just kind of forces you to scope down to one room probably just one character uh, a few lines of dialogue that kind of thing you know a 5 to 10 minute experience and um it's a great way to learn ags and the people there are really really helpful and um you know a couple of listeners of this podcast and contributors, Francisco and our friend Ben, um, they, they, got their, they got their start in the adventure game uh, world by, you know, getting involved in contests like that or mags, which is a much larger uh, kind of goal. Um, but, yes, I think that's a fantastic way to learn uh, AGS.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: well,
1: actually, now that we mention this, there's one more thing that I'll say very quickly, which was sure. I played a few games, none of which I can really name. Oh, there was one really good one. Well, anyway, it was for another game jam, which was for Twine. Oh, um, and there's the Twine Nice. Yeah, the challenge was to make tw- a Twine game with 300 words or less, which is a really Whoa. smart thing to do because you can go on and on and on in Twine, so yeah. it keeps them kind of crisp. So I played one game by someone I follow on Twitter. Her name is Elizabeth England.
3: Uh, okay. And she had like a
1: horror-based one where you uh, find a spot on your arm and you have to inspect what this spot on your arm is, and it's just a silly, <laughs> funny horror little thing <laughs> with uh, photographs and all. So there are some cool wow. things. Like some people would do, like uh, try to do uh, approximately three words per screen and tell a little story three words at a time. They were like three-word sentences, but they could right. got, like a whole almost a hundred screens out of that. It's a great <laughs> challenge, and I would love to participate in that next time.
2: Oh, that's, that's great. I'll, I'll link often. to that if I can find it. Twine always surprises me, because it was it was kind of that necessary little engine that, that we needed after Inform 7, and I'm not sure if you used any of those other text adventure engines, or um, no. they were... Uh, I believe it's Inform 7 um, that is a natural language-based um, engine, so you're actually writing out stuff instead of programming it, and it's just crazy. Mm. Um, so, for instance... Uh. Um, you would say, um, "Here's the classic." You, you start by defining things. So you, so you so you'd say, "The room is a room." Uh, <laughs> the apple, the apple is an object. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you literally write these full sentences out. And then the cool thing is, like, it has some advantages. I know that some people don't like. I think it's Informer. It might be this actually might be have a Might be another engine name. I can't remember the name of it. Um, but It has you defining um, John as a person, and then um, once you've assigned them basic kind of roles in the game, then you can actually just run the thing. It'll go, it'll automatically generate responses for many things that are common. For instance, that you can pick up the apple, or that you can uh, walk around the room, or you can look at the room because the room is a room, or that the room has exits. And it's really, really wild. Um, Twine. Simplified a lot of that by adding a GUI to it, which is really, really important because I think um, Inform became very, very overwhelming with its natural language stuff after a while.
1: Hmm. Well, I did actually use one called Quest. Oh, um, okay which is I don't know if it's just for windows it might just be for windows but uh, it is an engine for making adventure games and it was kind of halfway between what you're describing and twine i might say okay. where you declare your variables as rooms or objects or people and then you would click on the thing that you had just created and there would be like contextually a bunch of checkboxes and pull downs and other things that you can that are specific to that sort of like to a for a room what right. uh where are the exits and you would put a little check mark in the different eights like in the eight different directions that you could possibly walk and are the lights on, yes or no, by default, and uh, is the door locked by default. And There's uh, some coding uh, that you can do in the background to do slightly fancier things. And when I started to try to put some puzzles together, I don't know if it was due to bugs or just my inability to code anything really coherent, but it took me a long time to (laughs) make a puzzle work the way that I intended it to. But it was so much fun just writing descriptions for things, and you can say, if you use... If you specify this verb on this thing, because it's for text adventures where you type in, like, with a text parser. So if you right. use this verb on this object, then this is the response, and it comes pre-populated with a bunch of things like look and and touch and stuff like that. But you can add however many other ones that's, you want. It was a exactly. lot of fun. Exactly.
2: That, that sounds very much like InForm. Um, okay, twi- except that this twi- is GUI-based. Yeah. Oh, yeah, then it was GUI-based. Okay, that's what I was oh. going to ask wow i
1: see yeah yeah so this one was GUI based yeah oh beautiful wow at least you can see like the finite options that are at your disposal
2: oh that sounds nice i um i was going to propose someday someday when i'm old and gray and you know i'm able to do this i would love to hold um, anatoly if you're listening to this we got to do this someday man um anatoly and i held the vb dos jam a a couple of years ago and that was a lot of fun yeah Um, i played your games (laughs) yeah they were so much fun I loved Anatoly's game I remember Mm. when he told me when he told me the trick to his game I played it two or three times and he told me the trick to his game I was just blown away so um, but uh, yeah anyway I thought someday I love this idea of working with very antiquated engines to make stuff and um, I would love to do an adventure game construction kit uh, jam Um, do, do you happen to remember adventure game construction kit?
1: no I think I only learned of it Recently. I've heard about it a few times recently, but didn't know about it when oh. it was uh, new.
2: Yeah, it was pretty old. I think it was like from 1988 or 89. Um, it mm-hmm. was an old DOS-based um, uh, thing that allowed you to make kind of Ultima-like or or AD&D-like games out of it, and I think that would be such a fun little engine to uh, to make games out of. See, see what you can stretch it into making that it's not really capable of making. would be a lot of fun.
1: Oh, I'd totally be down with that. I would do that yeah. for sure.
2: <laughs> uh, so, oh so um
1: that's that's uh as much as I'll talk about the stuff uh, that I've been playing. What did you play these past couple of weeks
2: uh really quickly um uh, we've been playing uh uh the last of us, and I know I've brought it up a few times now, and we're, we're picking our way through it very very slowly and i'm I'm finding a few things new in it that I'm really surprised by, for instance, one of them is that uh, the uh the UI. A friend of mine pointed out how good the UI is in Last of Us. Uh, that it's a very simplistic, min- minimalistic UI, and I was really, really impressed by it. Um, now that I've really noticed it and paid attention, oh my god, it is the most intuitive um, um, controller-based UI I've ever seen. Like my fingers just know where to be on that uh, controller to switch, w- to basically switching between weapons or crafting objects. Very, very minimalistic, and I don't know, I don't know who thought of that, but it's very, very good. Um, and there's a couple of things I wanted to mention about it, because this game, I think it has a thousand things wrong with it, and if I faulted it for all those thousand things, I would feel, you know, it's a game that invites a lot of criticism, and I think for all the wrong reasons, um, and instead, when you pay attention to the little spots in that game that, that just make the game glow. So there's this moment where um, you're with your a companion, and you're teaching her how to shoot a rifle. And have I ever mentioned this, the, the rifle animation in this game? No, I don't think so. Oh, oh God, there's this great moment. I, As a kid, I grew up um, um, part aboriginal, so part of the thing I grew up doing was going hunting with my father. My father taught me how to shoot a rifle and stuff like that. So... Hmm. Um, as a kid I learned how to shoot what's called a 22 caliber rifle which is just like a little kids gun basically. I mean you can you can kill stuff with it but it's just like a, it's a very very small rifle. And uh, uh, a 22 caliber is a for the most part, most of them are bolt action. So that's the kind where you have the little bolt sticking out and you go click click and you kind of like turn the uh, turn the bolt inside the cylinder to chamber your next shot. Well, right. In this game, um, you give Ellie your companion a uh, little twenty two long rifle, and you 're trying to show her how to use it, but the best part of this, and I was so blown away, and I wanted to like, hug and kiss and make babies with the animator who pulled this off. Um, the person who did this did I was either motion capture or they just knew the twenty two rifle really, really well when you pull back the action on the rifle, so when you 're pulling back that bolt. It, it's very stiff. It tends to get stuck. So, it, so imagine sliding a piece of metal through a metal cylinder. The metal kind of gets very. There's a lot of friction between the two. So you really have to pull it back. So you, your, your tendency is to kind of jack it back and go like click. But Ellie's really small. She's what, you know, she's like a 14 year old girl or something. So she's got these little weak girly arms, and she struggles to pull the action back. And I, I got shivers seeing this because. The way that she pulled this action back, it went kind of like, um, it kind of slid back a little bit, got stuck, slid back a little bit, got stuck, slid back finally all the way and went click. I was like, oh, my God, I know that exact movement. That's exactly what my hand did when I was 10 years old. Hmm. That's exactly how my hand moved, what that bolt was like. It kind of like got stuck, and I really had to tug in the damn thing. And I was just like, oh, my God, somebody spent probably 10 hours of their life trying to get that bolt action to look just right so that and it was a little thing. It was a little thing and all it expresses is, you know, for for the for the average person who never notices, they're never gonna notice this. But for the person who who's familiar with weapons or whatever it is or shot shot or a gun once in their life, recognizes how hard it is to pull back that bolt, it did a great job of saying, Hey, you know what? Ellie's just a little kid. She's just she's just gonna be, you know, she's going to be shooting human beings here in a few seconds and you're, you're teaching her how to use a gun. And I was just like, oh, man. You know, it just said to me, the people who made this game put so much care into little moments like that where I thought, this is this is why I play games. This is why I, I, I love w- watching other people's creative work because hmm. they care about those little moments. And, you know, like I said, there's a thousand things wrong with the game. The gameplay is really boring for the most part. Um, I really dislike the whole... Um, spending your time salvage- um, scanning rooms for potential sal- salvageable objects. It brings out, like, the worst OCD behavior in me. You know, I'm basically, like, searching for every bandage and every piece of duct tape possible. But um, for little things like that, I was just really, I loved it. Um, very poetic uh, to have that in the game. Um, That's really
1: nice. Nice attention to detail.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's just something no one's ever mentioned, and I thought, ah, oh, I-, I might as well mention that. Um, hmm. But more importantly than The Last of Us, I, I I accomplished something. I finally finished Quest for Glory One VGA. Oh, um, that's terrific! <laughs> Such a charming little game. It is, and I and I've been in love with that game since I bought it. I have the old box copy that I had since I was, I think, sixteen years old. And has um, a great box. It has like a stained glass, uh, it's a stained glass painting of our hero, um, and it's just a great box, beautiful box. And I. I had played that game through at least 10 times in the last 20 years, well, 15 years. Mm. And here's the thing. I think I told you about this earlier this week. I would always get to the ending, and I don't want to ruin anything, but, you know, basically the game can actually end in a couple of different ways. You can rescue um, Baron's daughter. You can get rid of the evil witch, et cetera, et cetera. But in the VGA version, I don't know if this applies to the EGA version, Whatever happens, you're going to end up in Baron von Spielberg's um, mm-hmm. uh, throne room. Did you did you happen to get the Speed of Throne Room ending?
1: Uh, I, it's been so long that I don't remember. I know that I finished it, but uh, I know okay. what you're going to say, and it doesn't sound familiar to me.
2: Okay, so <laughs> for anybody who hasn't played this or has played this, ten different times in my life I've gotten to this ending where you're standing in the throne room, you just vanquished the evil Baba Yaga, You've just rescued Elsa von Spielberg. you you you're feeling badass because you got past oh I should bring this up. I got stuck at this stupid minotaur uh, or Minotaur. I'm never sure how to pronounce that word minotaur um, mm. that blocks your way into the um, into a brigand's uh, um, castle right. and here's why this game has some balance issues. If you play as a wizard and you have not maxed out your wizardry skills, there is no way in hell you're going to beat that minotaur. Um, Uh The minotaur just basically does terrible flashing damage to you, and your hit points are low because you're a wizard. Your magic burns out really, really quickly, and I wasn't going to grind my way through all of the wizard spells to make myself into super badass. So I'm like, I'm just going to take him on. Um, I did find a trick, though. Um, I don't know if this is a bug in in the game or if this is intentionally true, but the trick is you you fireball the living hell out of this guy, and then even though like I've got weak, you know, I've basically like got the risks risks of somebody with like I don't know multiple sclerosis in you know, a wheelchair because I'm like you know, a, you know eight strength wizard and he's basically just able to barely scratch him with his dagger I actually hit the attack button very very fast even though it interrupts the animation and it actually stabbed the minotaur way faster than I'm supposed to like it's supposed to kind of like do like the long jabby thing then pull back Long, jabby thing, but I was actually going like stab, 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 stab. stab, stab. Ooh. So yeah, so I was actually able to take down the Minotaur one hit point at a time faster than he could attack me back. Um, <laughs> so now that
1: was, you mention it, I might have done the same thing with the same glitch in that version. <laughs> it was
2: it was ridiculous. Like I was just like stabbing them as fast as I could, even though I'm barely scratching him each time, and I like did a hundred stabs in under a minute. Um... <laughs> So it worked, and I got past the Minotaur. I rescue Elsa. It was great, and uh, it was a fun little puzzle at the end of the game. Um, but, you get to the ending, you're in the throne room. This is a spoiler for anybody, but it's not a big spoiler. This is this is a non-story spoiler. This is a meaningless spoiler. You are filled in a room, it's a room filled with uh, a bunch of characters standing around. I don't recognize any of them, so I start looking at them, and they were like, um, John so-and-so, or or Kendra, so-and-so, I'm like, who the hell are these people? And I realized I'm looking at, Oh, sorry, my microphone fell out here one second, I'm 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 looking at the game credits, like every time you look at a character, it's giving you a credit, like game programmer, so-and-so. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and I was just like, oh, well, that's like the most disappointing ending, like, don't, isn't there like a great, you know, ah, uh, hero of Spielberg, You, we have honoring you with a great medal at Medallion of Blah Blah, blah. There was nothing, and so for ten times I'd finished that game, and I was always just like felt totally robbed by the ending until until this week. and I was so excited. This week I finally realized the way you trigger the ending is to look at each and every one of those characters in the room, and mm-hmm. after you've looked at them all, this gesture kind of cartwheels in and presents you with this award for you know saving the Baron's daughter and getting rid of Baba Yaga. Oh um, man. Yeah, and it took me 10, right. 15 years to see that fucking ending, and then you fly off into the sunset with the two Kata friends of yours, and the, um, uh, oh, the merchant uh guy. the merchant guy, yeah, whatever his name yeah, was, Abdul or something. like, I, I don't know, this was like 1230 at night, and I was actually, like, like, I actually, like, like, held my machine up in the air, I was like, yes, 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 <laughs> and my girlfriend's like, what is going on, and I'm like, I just beat Quest for 1 DJ, and she's like okay, honey. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't believe it. And, and it was like still a lame ending. Like they just fly off into the sunset on their magic carpet. But I was still, still like, oh man, I finally got to see that. That's what it's supposed to actually end like. So, the only that must have been
1: frustrating because they really do like they tell you early on in the game exactly what reward you're going to get for completing those specific exactly. quests, like on a bulletin board in the in the guild hall. That's right. Hall.
2: They, they say like 50 gold for for getting rid of Baba Yaga, 100 gold for mm-hmm. finding Elsa, and I was just like, well, I want my goddamn gold. Like, I want to I want to spend this shit. So
0: for sure, um,
2: yeah. And and so finally, that was great. That was like a great feeling. Um, it's been 15 years in the coming, um, and I feel dumb now because I'm sure. You know, trolls. Yeah, <laughs> hi, trolls. I'm sure you're gonna someday be like, what? You didn't know you had to like look at all of the programmers to see the ending. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. For for me, it was just like it was a great moment. I uh, well, that's I a pretty
1: narcissistic ending on Sierra's half. Like I'm, it I'm is. sure that there's nothing like that in the EGA version, which I think must have been the only one that I finished. I'm yeah, sure and I'm kind that.
2: of wondering. Yeah, exactly. I assume the EGA version has a non ridiculous ending. Um, hmm. But uh, no, it was great I, I was very proud of that So, um, played that oh, congrats um, What's that?
1: Congrats, I say Oh,
2: oh, he oh, said, oh, crap Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you And, uh, that was actually like a that was a big moment for me And, um, I finished Ultimate 7 um, Oh, wicked yeah. Which I'm sure
1: you've done before, too, yeah?
2: Oh, yes, uh, several times But this time, this time I actually Here's something for, oh, wow It really clouded over and got cold It's raining, I'm gonna go inside So, um, Ultima 7, what can I say about this game? This is an interesting game. Um, I I had a few kind of interesting designer kind of moments that I was thinking through when I played it. Um, The game is extremely open world, And here we go inside now. And what it does is it threads you along um, the story um, one little beat at a time. So sometimes the story um, lurches forward because you meet a character you needed to. Other times you're you spend ten fifteen hours exploring the world and you don't meet you know you don't meet any story triggering characters. You just kind of do side quests until you get to um, the end game path. And all of a sudden the game gets actually I don't want to say bad. It's it, The game gets extremely linear all of a sudden. Um, you're forced to go through logic puzzle after logic puzzle. And it's actually a very disappointing way to end the game. And it feels to me like... Ugh, it's like the designers kind of said to themselves, well, we need to stretch out this ending another 5 or 10 hours because if they don't get their 70 hours of gameplay, we're going to you know, get yelled at. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, the last dungeon of the game, which is very challenging, very interesting. The puzzles are good. Now, I'm not going to say the puzzles are very very good. It's just that um that there's that they're all chained together in a row and you go one puzzle after another. So it kind of becomes very adventure gamey all of a sudden um and you completely lose the exploration aspect of the game. Um I understand why they did it, but it also really detracts from the experience so that when you finally do get to the end battle and, Oh man, the end battle is fantastic. It's fun. Um, it's not, you know, it's not badass final fantasy seven, you're fighting Sephiroth kind of end battle. Um, but you finally do confront these people you've been chasing for the last 40 hours. And when you confront them, they're, they're bad people. <laughs> they are actually evil. Um, and uh, when you confront them, that makes the uh, makes the battle quite quite great because like they you they actually motivate you to kill them. Um, in Ultima Seven, you can play through most of the game without killing anything actually, um, huh. but it, that's to your detriment because usually you need to build up your skills. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, you really do want to kill them. They're bad people. They they're going to let an evil demonic creature into Britannia, um, and. The thing is i forgot the game has two different endings um there is one ending where you vanquish the evil demon that's the guardian and there's one ending where you actually willingly let him in uh, oh
0: cool
2: yeah so you can actually be a bad avatar and 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 let him destroy britannia um, that's great it's a very very dark ending if you let that happen um yeah so and that was a great moment and and plus um, the one thing I liked, I, and I forgot to mention this, this is something for game developers to listen to this. Um, here's an interesting thing not often done in games, and I think it's worth we're thinking about. The Guardian is this character that motivates you. He's 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 in the kind of initial incident at the start of the game in the introduction. He basically um, implies that he's going to destroy Britannia, and you, you need to go there to save it. Um, what he does is you never see him in the entire game. All you hear is his voice. Chiming in at certain moments, I think I mentioned we we talked about before you hear him yeah. going kind of like kind of like evil laugh <laughs> right. um, and I thought it did something really great that i'd like love to see in uh, more games where you basically have a silent um antagonist um, who he's prodding you along very, very quietly in the background. Um, be, he, he's just there to goad you into doing stuff so for instance there's a great part where you go to the gargoyle uh, Gargoyle town and if you go into the bar you're, it's this a very racist town the gargoyles hate humans, humans hate gargoyles and as soon as you step in the door he goes, tell them you were the avatar and then mm, if, cool. you, if, you, yeah, if you do tell them you're the avatar, the gargoyles just murder you um, but if you lie they kind of say like, well get out of here human, we don't like you um, so the, the Guardian's just there to prod you along and kind of keep you, keep you on the, uh, main game, uh, story track. And I would love, love to see a game which kind of had this silent, uh, silent antagonist or, I, I don't know what to call it, not silent, but unseen antagonist kind of prodding along the main character. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. But I, I just can't think of any other games that actually make use of that, um, Now now that I think about
1: it, but... um, Um, I haven't played much of it myself because I found it uh, too frustrating in terms of the interface, but... Oh, yeah. As I understand, um, System Shock 1 is very much like that, with that uh, computer AI shodan.
2: That's right. I forgot about shodan.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the closest analog I can think of. Oh, I I think shodan is... Or in Portal, there's... there's, In Portal, there's uh, GLaDOS, but you do, like, see... Yeah, exactly. You
2: see GLaDOS, and I think at the end of System Shock 1, you you encounter Showdown face-to-face. I've never Mm. actually finished that game, though, because that is the most terrifying interface on Earth.
1: It is. I mean, that came out after or before Ultima Underworld? I think
2: after. Uh, Yes, right afterwards, because they used the same engine, I believe.
1: Yeah, they do use the same engine, but I find it just, like, incomprehensible. I'm very <laughs> bad at just getting around in the game world. And even the sequel System Shock 2, which I keep hearing over and over how unbelievably fantastic it is, but the uh, interface just gets in my way. I, I just always am very clumsy with it and don't do the things I intend. And, like, I'm screaming at my monitor, I all I want to do is this thing. I want to <laughs> use this thing on the thing right in front of me, and I can't figure out how to do
2: it. I, uh, that's interesting. You mentioned that because I, a few years ago I started writing an academic paper on um, the evolution of the, uh, the WASD uh, interface, uh, where oh, it came cool. from. Yeah, hmm. and um, I started actually doing some historical research on old games and saying, "Well, where did WASD come from? Um, did I was it about start?" To ask. Yeah, and, and where did it start? So I started researching this stuff and i found an interesting thing I could, cause for instance i i wanted to know well, why do we use wasd i mean it's not it's not clearly the best way of interacting with anything it's just the way we happen to do it um, mm. and i actually traced a really interesting history um and my my theory was it's due to paul Neurath um mm. of of um uh, i guess looking it would be Glass. looking Glass, blue sky software blue sky. Yeah. yeah and um Paul Murat, I think, I don't know who was responsible for the U- UI, in every one of the games he's touched, he's used an alternate, very, very different, non-WASD interface. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's stuck to it in almost every one of the games he's touched. Um, so, for instance, it's evident in Thief, Thief 2, System Shock 1. Syst- uh, I don't know about System Shock 2. I can't remember if that's the same company. Um, I can't remember. Uh neither and Ultima Underworld, and they all have these wild keyboard kind of layouts, and they're not great. Um, WASD, I think the only reason they use it is because it's very, very simple. Um, I I think, I I can't remember what I traced back the history of WASD to. I never finished writing the paper. Um, Mm. But I remember coming across this, like, this interesting historical development that Paul Neurath, or at least somebody that works with him, who stayed with him on all these different projects, maintained this very wild interface so for instance i think i think those games did use WISD, but they also used q and e um and z and c so q and e were for instance responsible for either turning your character or they would allow you to run forward or run left or or strafe left or strafe right so yeah they had um,
1: separate keys for turning and strafing i think they had separate keys for walking and running so they kind That's of refined right. it, I guess, into those fewer keys over time. Somebody Exactly.
2: Did. Yeah, they refined it, and they started using modifier keys, too. So they, for instance, used right. control or shift um, to slow down or speed up running. And it, I, I, when I did the System Shock it uh, research, I think I had calculated that there are 41 keys used in System Shock. <laughs> Ouch. It's terrible. Like, you literally have to have your hands, it was made for a numeric keypad, so you have to have one hand on the numeric keypad, the other hand on the left side of the keyboard, just in order to be able to play System Shock 1. that's um, oh, yeah. the reason
1: these games came with the uh, quick reference card.
2: Exactly, and, and that, that quick reference card folds out and is made to sit in front of your keyboard, so you can actually look down at it while you're playing. Yuck! <laughs>
1: yeah, sure.
2: so it's like pretty awful. I, System Shock One is really, really good though. Um, if if it's if anybody's actually willing to put in the time, it it is rewarding. Um, plus, it has like that awesome intro. Like, look at you, hacker! I love that. Mm-hmm. Showdown so intro mm-hmm. is just fantastic. That's right. So, yeah. Well,
1: yeah, that, It's interesting what you say about the modifiers anyway, because that is something that I kind of had always thought to be more of a console sort of a thing, where the defining right. feature of PC gaming was that we had this humongous keyboard in front of us. So it, it is an interesting refinement that uh, it would gravitate towards using modifiers just for something, I guess, as simple as moving your character, whereas the other features, I guess, could uh, sprout out into as many other keys as we needed.
2: Yeah, it's funny how we... we... The, the the overall trend from the research I was doing was less and less keys. Basically, re- reducing it to four keys or five keys or six keys, that was always the ultimate goal. But originally, games started off with 30 or 40 or 50 keys um, yeah. that you would use to play. And I think that's... I, I don't want to say it's better or worse. It's just an interesting historical transformation because, I don't know, I think there's something fun... for For me, personally, there's something very, very fun about treating your computer like you're, you're, you're running this very complicated steam locomotive or something. You've yeah. got, you got, like, 50 levers you've got to pull and memorize, um, and you got to remember the function of each and every single individual key. Um, yeah, well you get
1: the feeling of mastery once you uh, get yeah, good at it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it also, um, it kind of just, the, the keyboard grows around your hands at some point where you don't even think about them. You just know, for instance, when I play um, uh, *Wing Commander Privateer, um, <laughs> um, yeah. I was remembering that uh, I have this I have this memorized pattern as soon as I hit the launch button or as soon as I click on launch to launch my ship there's the um, loading screen where it's just like black screen but mm-hmm. it'll accept keyboard um, um, commands during that spot so it'll cache them so once you're in your cockpit it'll all of a sudden run them all at the same time oh. so I if in my um, so in let me my... guess full
1: speed full guns yep <laughs> And uh, navigate to hyperspeed or something like that?
2: Uh, it was G-E-I slash nav. So G for gun, yeah, yeah. E for... <laughs> Me too <laughs> in my Wing Commander games, yep. Yeah, it's like, hilarious. And I just, uh, it would just have a way of going... I, like, hit them all at the same time. And then it would make this kind of, like, funny, mashy sound in the game. And I'm like, all right, gun's fully charged up, full tacky on cannons, ready to go. Um, I think I was turning on the ITTS auto-targeting system. Um, and then Slash was like full, yeah, full, full speed ahead.
0: <laughs> mm.
2: And then, oh yeah, and then my, then my uh, ring finger immediately goes to tab, so I can um, after burn the shit out of my way out of the uh, gravity hole.
1: Of course, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> have you heard of a game called Cook Serve Delicious? No, what is that? Oh, this is a really cool game. It's a, it's a. It must have come out a year or two ago, um, and it's kind of like a. Pop cap style kind of a casual okay. game where you run your own restaurant and you have to cook things for people and you have to clean your restaurant every now and then sure. um, and do maintenance. And it's like a tycoon sort of a game where you get a lineup of people and you have to make their orders ah, and maintain your right. restaurants over the course of a day. Um, so it's specifically made for PC. I think they're making console versions now, but th- they're adapting okay. it because it's primarily a PC game that uses a whole bunch of keyboard keys, so oh. depending on the sorts of things you're making. Well, the one that my wife and I always, we both play this, it's really hard, and it takes a lot of coordination, but it gives you totally gives you that feeling of mastery, is that uh, the one that my the, my wife and I always remember is when you're making a salad, yeah. um, the things that you can that you usually put on there that people order, it was like bacon, mushroom, onion, and what was G? Greens. So you press B M O G. And you get, it, your muscle memory starts to kick in. That's and so great. now, of course, what do we refer to any salad as but B Mog? B
2: Mog. That's what we call it. Oh my That's God. a really, really
1: good game, by the way. I recommend that to absolutely anyone. Very well crafted, uh, simple game, like easy to learn, hard to master.
2: You just instantly really me on
1: that. It's Oh, it's hilarious. A very, very well-done game, but so infuriatingly difficult. It gets, well, like, it turns, it's, it's like a keyboard ballet, this game.
2: <laughs> Out of curiosity, totally what what was your opinion of the Space Quest 4 uh, um, Monolith Burger uh, minigame? Oh, make I don't much burger. care for it. No, you didn't like it, eh? It. Nah.
1: it's well. It's the controls are just so clunky. I mean, I've heard that you can use just the keyboard and it like skips from hot point to hot point. So that's something I have to try because I've always done it with the mouse and the mouse control isn't the best. I don't know if that's because of playing it in Windows through emulators or something, but right. I find it very. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't behave the way I want it to. And plus, when you click somewhere and you miss in that mini game, your cursor turns into this X and. If you start to move your cursor while it's an X, the the X stays in the same place, but then when it goes away, the oh, cursor is jumped to wherever you right. move the cursor to. That's I find right. that infuriating. That's just a bit of polish that makes it that much more difficult. I hate that. Do you like that one?
2: Yeah, I, I, I honestly got pretty addicted to it. I <laughs> like I said, I think it was like one of those things where I actually loved the mastery involved in predicting where that cursor would pop up at in the right spot. Mm. Um, so I would actually have like this talk about muscle memory i 'd have like this internal like algorithm that would tell me it 's going to be offset by exactly ten pixels up or down or to the left or something at this one exact point point. Mm. and uh, i I really got used to it and i don 't know i just i I would actually build up ten i can actually remember the tension in my chest that i'd build up once the speed really kind of kind of got amped up. It makes it and, so uh, hard. Oh, uh, it was incredibly hard, and and plus there's this, I think it, I don't know if it's background music, but there's this kind of, su- um, kind of music sound effect that goes with the speed of the conveyor belt. And, yeah, the music uh,
1: gets faster and faster. It's yeah, like just this percussion exactly. and bass version of the Space Quest theme. It's so infuriating when it gets faster.
2: Exactly. It's like very stress-inducing. and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love it. But speaking funny. of the
1: sound, there's the the one thing that makes that game extra funny is the sound that it makes when you squirt one squirt, of the condiments explore. onto the burger. <laughs> yeah, it's just this like flatulent, awesome sound. <laughs> yeah,
2: makes I, it all worthwhile. I remember that perfectly. It's great.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and the yeah. uh, your your boss in that scene, by the way, this like big pig monster kind of a thing. Wearing like a, a, yes. a fast food burger manager and outfit with a big and chopping on this huge hanging cigar. Out of his hands and Yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorites, just uh, character designs in any Sierra game at all. He's <laughs> so awesome looking.
2: I love that he looks like I love like, that game. Yeah, that's one of my favorite games. You know, and like Space me Quest too. Three. I think I'm on, on, on board with Anatoly that Space Quest 3 might be the best Space Quest. Um, mm-hmm. But for some reason, Space Quest 4 wins me over every single time because it's got so much charm. Like, it's just like it full of charm everywhere.
1: So much variety, and you see such cool sights. And going back to Space Quest... Is Space Quest 1 you go back to? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. One or two. And then you go to Space Quest 1, because you kind of go to the... um, You go to the Euland Flats uh, bar. Right, right. And then you go to Space Quest 12, uh, I believe, in the future, or 13 or something, which I... Yeah, you start there. Yeah, you start there. That's right. I think. And, oh, man, that game game has everything going for it. Someday when I'm... Someday when I'm bored and old and rich or, or, or poor, extremely poor, I'm going to spend all of my time <laughs> making all of those games that exist in that software uh, 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 junk garbage bin in the game. Like, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or checkerboard construction set. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or SimSim, Sim, the simulator Sim Sim. simulator.
2: Oh, my God. That was, like, so brilliant. I was just, like, I remember mm. I had tears in my eyes when I was, like, 14 years old, and I, like, Spent all of my time digging through the bin looking for new software.
1: Yeah, well, that game is just overall so meta. It
4: yeah.
2: is so
1: self-referential, and it's only in like a silly science fiction game that you can pull something like that off. It like yeah. never relents from that meta stuff, which is so brilliant. <laughs> well, Love the funny it. thing was, at
2: that point, I had never played Space Quest 1. I. Um, I had only me played neither. Space Quest 3, so I didn't even understand that I was traveling back in time to Euland's Flats. Like, I, did, I that joke that just totally blew past me.
1: Yeah, I like, I don't know. I think I got the gist of it, just from the <laughs> graphical style. I suppose, having played other Sierra games of that era, it kind of oh. looked like that. And I love that dichotomy of your high res mouse driven character exactly. walking around and those like chintzy EGA looking scenes. What a uh, what a cool game! I played I've... that again not too uh, not too long ago, and it's oh. every bit as enjoyable as ever. That
2: sounds awesome.
1: Yes, but no, I've been cautioned not to play the CD-ROM version. I've only ever played the disc version because that's what I owned. Supposedly, the CD-ROM version has this timer bug that makes it impossible to complete the, the right. shopping mall area. So that, yes. I, I didn't have to worry about that, having played the disc version.
2: I think um, I, I I remember the There's a ti- timer issue with the disc version too, but I don't think it's crippling. I think I think you can get past the laser the laser dudes in the floppy version, or the, maybe there's a patch. I, I remember Sierra was really interesting um, if you. Because I tended to own multiple copies of the same Sierra game, again OCD stuff. Um, <laughs> only collectors would understand this. Um, I would have different um, different versions on the diskettes, so there would be like version one point zero point three three three. Oh, that is OCD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You maintain them all. And it's like, oh, but I found version one point zero point eight six seven. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> So they would kind of quietly release patched versions on Floppy um, over time, and I'm pretty sure without ever officially releasing a, a patch for the game. Um, yeah, so, I think
1: they like sometimes would have patches, but just available on CompuServe or something exactly. like that. It would be like two files you could replace, and I don't even remember how I found those later. It was on BBSs, I guess. That's I right,
2: exactly. And I think Sierra had its own BBS that you could dial up to for patches, but I never once tried that.
1: Mm. Do they have a BBS? I know they had a CompuServe... Uh, location, I don't
2: know. But maybe, oh, maybe, maybe I'm confusing them with Origin. One of yeah, one of the companies. Mm. Copies are for sure. I actually think that might have been one of the first reasons I was. was. For mm. Oh, hello. The two Uh-oh. Extreme never.
1: Okay. Now we're recording again.
0: Yay!
3: Yay! So, so he kind of um, got
1: exploded mid-sentence <laughs> there. I don't know what happened there. Too much spacey uh, interference. That was me. Space interference. Uh, okay, whatever.
2: Um, so all I was doing was complaining about Quest for Glory 3, how um, if you had a 486 or better, um, it would actually lock up at a point very, very at the end of the game where the Leopard Man... Um, kind of king or uh, chief is addressing you, and he's waving his hands around in the air. And I just remember, it would get stuck in this one animation, and he would just, like, be forever waving his hands in this big, like, circular swimming motion. <laughs> and for that reason, I've never actually seen the end of Quest for Glory 3, which drives me crazy oh, to this day. what a shame. That's <laughs> it's too terrible. bad. I saw d- the DOSBox version a couple of years ago, and it actually had... Um, similar kind of lockup issues, too, so I think there are some still timer bugs in, in the game that exist.
0: Oh,
1: I guess, yeah, it was hard to envision CPUs uh, getting so fast so quickly, I suppose. They just made games yeah. for whatever the current situation was.
2: Well, it, it was kind of weird because, you know, at the time, I think when Quest for Glory 3 came out, 386s were very common, um, and I think 486s were already kind of on the edge, so I'm kind of surprised that... I guess I'm always surprised when timer bugs kind of rear their ugly head, because I know, I I understand the temptation to use them, but I kind of wonder, why is it that Sierra games specifically only have them?
1: Yeah, I don't know if it was just a matter of their engines or what. I just don't know. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's very odd, because I don't, I don't, Think they exist in the AGI? Uh, This is actually an interesting technical question. If if somebody knows, um, why is it that Sierra AGI games do not seem to have timer bugs, but the SCI games, most of them do, uh, to some extent?
0: Yeah,
1: I'm
2: just wondering if the SCI engine itself actually has an inherent problem with it.
1: Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, maybe they there's there's obviously some like integral dependency on uh, the CPU yeah. speed or the clock speed or something like that. But I guess in terms of gameplay, bugs notwithstanding, they must have figured that they mitigated the the uh, CPU speed situation somewhat by letting you choose the speed of the that's game. That's right. And that's kind of like a global timer. It's not even a global timer always, is it? The, uh, yeah. the speed up, speed down button. Sometimes it makes everything the same speed, but it's just your character's walk right. speed that changes. <laughs> and so sometimes you can like... Oh, I remember in um, Gabriel Knight there's a scene where you bring all these zombie things to life and you have to like walk around them right. in certain ways uh, in this underground uh, layer kind of a place and if you just crank yep. the your walk speed up to maximum then this otherwise terrifying poke. scene you're just like it's like <laughs> Benny Hill style walking really fast around them
2: and it's not so bad that sounds awesome that's right yeah so that's that's what I've been playing and I don't even remember what the last game I mentioned was but um I'm I'm very happy that I finally got to play a little bit, uh because it's been a very, very, very busy spring for me so far. Mhm. All right. Well So we we have some uh do we have some listener feedback? Listener voicemail, listener email?
1: We have some we have some podcasts to accompany the listener
2: feedback. <laughs> That's about awesome. how it goes.
1: Jeez, folks, we go away for two weeks and you lavish us with enough love to fill up the Titanic.
2: Oh, <laughs> we, I'm excited. I can't wait. We
1: love it. Thank you so much, folks. We have we have three letters and three voicemails, which is just beautiful.
2: Wow. That's Loving insane. It.
1: So, how are we going to do this? Why don't I do the letters first? Um, Sure. We have another letter from uh, our uh, listener, Father Beast. Thank you uh, yet again, Father Beast, for uh, getting back to us. So he says, hi, Father Beast here, not Father Torque. Who the frack is that? Oh, Father Beast, we have to set you up with um, Full Throttle. Oh, man.
2: That, that, that You just got yourself in a whole lot of trouble.
1: <laughs> I meant to write in about episode 13 stuff you guys were yakking about, but it seems you continued the conversation in episode 14. First, you guys oh. talked about adventures in upgrading your modems, so I thought you might like this story. My brother was among the early adopters of things, and he got a 300-baud modem for his Commodore 64 back in the late 1980s, and he said he could sometimes type faster than it could transmit. On that's a side- right. That's awesome. On a side note, he also got a hard drive for his Commodore 64, which was this humongous 5-megabyte piece. Oh, beast. man. Wow. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what I could do with all that space. I, am- I remember he had dozens of partitions emulating 160K floppies. Whoa, that's great. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! That reminds me of me buying, uh, more you know, like eight megabytes of RAM for my computer or something, and making all these RAM disks <laughs> and stuff. Uh, anyway, I didn't get a modem myself until I had my 386 16. I got at a thrift store. In those days, the local thrift stores would not only have computers, they would also have stacks of hardware you could also buy. So I bought my first twenty four hundred baud modem at a thrift store. I think this was around nineteen ninety six. So then I discovered Juno and that got That sounds amazing. Email. It does Juno. I remember them. weren't they one of those free? They were one of those free ISPs, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. Uh, this was Juno version one point three nine, which would call a local number, connect, and transfer your email, and then hang up. Ah, I had just finished writing a history of a certain section of my life, and I wanted to distribute it to all my friends. This was a fairly lengthy piece of text, about 50 pages printed. And Juno wouldn't let me go over a certain amount of text, so it got divided into (laughs) about six or seven emails. Ugh. When oh I connect, when I connected to send all this, my computer was on the phone for twenty minutes or so. Two days later, I tried to get my email and only got a notice from Juno that they could no longer support modems of less than ninety six hundred baud.
0: Aww.
1: <laughs> my wife and I did some searching and there was a guy in a nearby city that would sell a fourteen four modem for about twenty five dollars, which we
2: did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Second. That father Beast, that is so awesome! Oh my god, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like melting inside. Like in 1996, 97, I would have been at 336 at that point. Yeah, um, 2400. Yeah, that's yeah,
0: painful. Yeah,
2: 2400. Upgrading to 144 is just like makes my heart melt. Oh, I know that must have been dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, second you
1: guys talked about getting old games at thrift stores which I have been doing for a long time I recall how excited I was when I found Might and Magic 2, 3, and 4 in a collection Ooh. stacked with the jigsaw puzzles nice find a nice. similar feeling was when I found a boxed version of Daggerfall CDs oh, settled wow. down Yeah, CDs settled down to a going rate of around $3 each and many gems were found through the years but another section of the thrift store I pod through was the book section Yes, there were a lot of strategy guides uh, acquired, but the odd <laughs> manual was also to be found, which I always loved. I own manuals and strategy guides for games I do not even possess. Nice. And one time I discovered a bunch of copies of Computer Gaming World and Computer Games Strategy Plus from 1994 and 1995 that someone had donated. <laughs> yes, thrift stores are cool. Very good. Oh. Uh, third, Joe from the Upper Memory Block called and talked about monitors, which reminded me of this story. Around the time of that 2400 baud modem, a friend of ours brought a new monitor, bought a new monitor and gave us the old one. We were wanting to upgrade to VGA, and I had bought a, a Spider VGA card at the thrift store. Spider? I don't know if it oh. meant Spider or Super. I don't recall what we were using before that. It was either EGA or CGA, but either way, we did not want to go back. So I was dismayed when the picture just faded one day. In desperation, I unscrewed the back cover and slid it back to see if I could see a problem. I didn't see anything, but it was now working again. So I slid the cover back into place and prepared to screw it on. The picture faded again. Sure enough, it would fade out whenever the back wasn't hanging open, so we just got used to the computer with all the monitor's electronics open to the air. (laughs) <laughs> so that's it for now. Hope these stories provide some amusement, Father Beast. Thank you, Father Beast. Oh, <laughs> oh, we love Father these down Beast, in the that's... trenches real stories. That's great. Oh, that's awesome. I I love how like they're all recent. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, disturbingly recent.
2: <laughs> I um I'm really impressed that you managed to. I don't know where you live, Father Beast, but it's really really hard for us to find any kind of retro hardware, um out here, and especially modems and stuff like that. Um, I still see the occasional like. Um, external U.S. Robotics 33.6 um, modem, something like that. Um, but it blows me away that you still have these kind of new-ish retro finds. What about... Um, I was going to say, what do you think your best thrift store find has been so far?
1: Uh, my best thrift store finds have totally been music. I mean, I found a lot of really cool games in thrift stores. I found, like, older versions of... Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator and some right. educational games. I found a cool version of uh, the Game of Life and Clue on CD-ROM. But otherwise, wow. I found some really awesome stuff on uh, in music CDs. I can't really think of any examples. Oh, yes, I can. There was one album I was looking for that I had on audio cassette and I loved as a kid, and I don't know why. It was very popular. It was In Excess Kick that I couldn't find on oh. CD, like, anywhere. Or I think I found it in a, an HMV store, and it was, like, $27 or some crap like that, but I found it for three bucks at a thrift store, and I ripped it to MP3, and it sounded perfect, so that was probably oh, my beautiful. number one find. How about you? Um,
2: I was trying to think. I was... At search stores I usually miss or miss. I, I I usually go to them and they just never have anything. So every five years, you know, I'll find some, some, some gem. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the big ones I've hit over the years. I think the biggest, the, the best find I've ever had was on just like local Craigslist like service called Kijiji. Mm-hmm. And I actually drove to another city to go pick this up because I was so excited. So here's the story. This is how it happened. Um, I had found a listing for Freddie Farkas Frontier Pharmacist <laughs> um, for five bucks. Oh,
5: nice! And I own
2: I that like, one. Oh, I was like, oh man! I always wanted to get this. So i you know, this was this was very recently, by the way. This was about eight years ago, seven years ago. Mm. Um, and uh, our, our Sierra-loving uh, adventure game enthusiasts will dig this story. Um, I, so I emailed the person and I said, "Oh, hey." Um, Pretty farcus, that's fantastic. Do you have any other adventure games by any chance? And I'm so glad I asked. Because the person wrote back and said, Oh, yes, we have a big box of them. I'm like, Oh, um, she's like uh, she's like, I was gonna throw these out, but I wanted to see if we could maybe sell one of them first. Oh. And I'm like I was like, Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I'm like box up basically there's like five or ten games in there. And I'm like, I'll take them all. I don't care what they are, I'll take them all. So and I just said, like, is five bucks each okay? And she's like, oh, that's more than fine. Just come and pick them up. So I drove three hours to another city um, so <laughs> to go get these games. And you just saw my face. <laughs> I pulled up, and it's this huge mansion of a house. And this young couple walks out. And they're like, oh, you're the guy who's here to pick up the games. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Is there like a, you know, that's like a small little box of them, she's like, oh, there's a few boxes,
0: oh, and, beautiful. oh my
2: god, I, like, like, I was just, like, started shaking, and I'm like, um, how much do you want? She's like, uh, I don't really know, like, there's there's a lot, it's like, $100 okay? I'm like, sold, 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 so I just, like, gave her 100 bucks. it came out with, a, and I have a photo of this somewhere, and I'd love to share this with everybody if I can find it someday, <laughs> um, it was 40 or 50 box Sierra games, um, <sighs> Half of them were still shrink-wrapped, um, and it was everything from Hoyle's Book of Games to all four Quests for Glories um, and um, two copies of Gold Rush and every space quest you can imagine. And, and, I, and I said, like, oh, my God, these are all Sierra games. They're like, yeah, we, we kind of started buying them up in college like 10, 15 years ago. And then we tried to play them in college, but we always ran out of time. So we just put them in the basement to play them someday. But now that we have kids, we don't have time to play them. And I just kind of want them out of the basement. And I'm like, so, oh my God. It's so <laughs> so like the whole drive home. I was like, I kept reaching behind me. You know how you have to reach to get stuff out of the back seat of your car. Mm-hmm. I kept like, reaching and fumbling around the box and pulling out like a new box and i'm like what is this it was like it was the craziest thing so, <laughs> oh that's fantastic so, so yeah i got 40 or 50 games all in one shot for 100 bucks oh, and amazing. it was amazing it was amazing i i'm still so excited to this day about it um and i ended up actually selling a couple of the games because personally i'm not one of those people that cares about shrink wrapped or not i mm-hmm. like to have the I like, to have, I like to be able to play with the game itself. I like to play with the box, open it up, look at all of the stuff. Sure. And I, I realized that there's like, a lot of collectors out there who would just cringe at the idea of me um, unshrinking a game. So I went on to, um, I can't remember what these forums were called. I think they were called the Space Quest forums, but it was, uh, they had the Sierra Collector Zone. And I just said, hey, I've got, like, 5 or 6 um, or 10 or 15, I can't remember, um, box. Sealed Sierra games. Anybody interested? And there was this guy from Sweden. He just he just lost his mind. He was like, "I'm looking for half of those games. I will I will pay you fifty dollars U.S. per game." Holy shit! Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, in like one hour, I think I sent him five or six games. I made back four or five hundred bucks. It was oh, it was really wow. nuts. It's a problem. And he chip. was just yeah, he was just very excited. And I was so happy to send them to him. So I made him a deal. I said. um, tell you what, I said, you don't have to give me 50 bucks a game. I think what I did was I let him give me 40 or 30 bucks a game, and I said, but the deal is you have to send me the same game back uh, unshrink, unshrink-wrapped. I, I don't need the shrink-wrapped version. Oh. I'm like, I just want to have, I just want to be able to play with the box, and you can keep the shrink-wrapped version and do whatever you want with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I kept one shrink-wrapped game, which was Quest for Glory 4. It's mm. a massive, big, white, fat box. Uh, oh, I own that one. It's, it's a great box. It's fun. Mm. Um, so that's up on my shelf and uh that was that was my best find. So there, Father Beast, you, you, be still my heart. You um you, you're after the same kinds of stuff as me, that's
1: awesome. Oh, that's terrific. Well, it's not entirely related, but it's a short story that I will share that your story reminded me of. Um, this must have been about <laughs> ten years ago or so, and I had just found this website, the Dragon Lair Project, which was oh, it still. Yes. is. it's a terrific repository of information about Laser Quest games in general, primarily exactly. Dragon's Lair. And I think I was looking into emulating these games, but 10 years ago, it might have been more than 10 years ago even, um, you know, the games were several gigabytes to download. There might have been like 8 gigabytes or so to download in the files that... Uh, were most conducive to emulation. So that was a big deal for me then. I think I must have had a download cap of 30 gigs a month or something like that back then. Um, (laughs) So I somehow got into a conversation with people on the forums and I was uh, getting chummy with this one guy who was from Buffalo, New York, which I guess is a little more than two hours drive away from Toronto. And um, he said that he had gotten the game emulated and working and everything. And I'm like, oh, Dragon's Lair. I have such fond memories of that. I haven't played that since I was a little kid. It must have been like 20, 25 years or something since I had played that game. Um, And so he said, okay, tell you what, um, if you'll meet me like halfway, then I'll give you the discs and I'll bring my laptop so that you can play it. And I want to see your face as you play this game for the very first time in like 20 years. I'm like, okay, cool. I I guess that's cool. So I was starting to almost get ready to go on this trip. And then somebody released this like two gigabyte version of the working game. And so I right. downloaded that, and I played that, and I'm like, okay, uh, uh, Mysterious Stranger, I guess I've uh, got what I came for, so
2: let's maybe not do this.
1: So he was kind of disappointed. I,
2: I... It's like, I guess I don't really need you to kill me and stuff my body in the suitcase. Exactly.
1: We were going (laughs) to meet in some, like, nothing town, like, right near the Canadian-U.S. border. It was kind of, it was a little shaky, but, I mean, like, we stayed in touch for another two years or so afterwards, and he was a nice guy, and he had, like, just divorced his wife and was having some depression problems and was becoming a collector of video games, and, I don't know, I got to know him personally. He was a nice guy and all. I've lost touch with him for a long time since then. But uh, that was just one of those really weird uh experiences where gaming was like a common factor between two otherwise dissimilar people from two different countries even <laughs> pretty peculiar <laughs>
2: Why is it that I associate uh uh depression and game collecting as part of the same package so easily? <laughs> I
1: because I guess cause one is the solution for the other. One is the the result of the other, I don't know.
2: Exactly. Or or Sorry. one leads to the other. I'm never sure if collecting leads to depression or depression leads to collecting.
1: That's right. Well I guess the more the more complete your collection is, the the more you feel the loss of the few that aren't com- I don't know. I'm not really a collector. <laughs> The only collection I ever really had, and this is a weird one, was when I was a little kid, I had a collection of Dead Batteries. I had. It was like a first start oh off with a god. coffee can, and it became like this little uh, Tupperware bin of just all these different brands and sizes of dead batteries that I came across. I would find one on the street, and I would stick it in my collection. I had like uh, probably like eighty different kinds of batteries, and I'm sure today there's like this gelatinous acidic mass that's like oh my god <laughs> melting into that's the like ground mo- and destroying. It's like a
2: radioactive pile of goo
1: that's right for all i know it like became sentient and was like blobbing towards toronto looking for me i don't know it was a dumb collection (laughs) but i was very proud of it
2: (laughs) i i had weird collections too as a kid actually i attended to i tended to collect things uh as a kid um i i would have i had a rock collection um i would just like find these cool rocks in the school playground and i take them home and then i put them inside of like this little okay okay this is is embarrassing um (laughs) It is embarrassing for me, and it's embarrassing for my partner. Okay. So, uh, this is this is why people fall in love, folks. Um, <laughs> the, uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, I had this rock collection, and I bought this yellow, I don't know what to call it. It's a yellow, um, everyone has this who, who grew up with parents who made them sort out their shit. Um, it's a little yellow toolbox with little um, slide drawers in it, kind of plastic, clear plastic slide drawers.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. And you
2: could... You know what I mean? And you can totally. put, like, screws in them. Yeah. It seems like everyone grew up with one of these things at some point in their life. Um, so my mom bought me one of these things, and I was really excited because I had a lot of electronics. I put together these 50-in-1 or 201 Radio Shack electronic kits. Mm. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers those where you'd kind of, like, build a burglar alarm or build a, a fish-sounding device. And yeah, you'd right, put the put crystal radio yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, the crystal radio, Exactly. Um, so I'd have all these uh, spare parts kicking around, and so she made me sort them out one day. And one of the things I put in there was rocks. So I'd, I, you know, I had a little rock collection. Well, fast forward like 27 years, um, dating my girlfriend for the first time, and
0: uh,
2: what am I talking about? I'm my girlfriend and I are on our first date, and um, I drop her off at her place, and I go inside, and I see this yellow box. I'm like, oh my god, that's that's like. The exact same yellow box I had growing up as a kid, and she's like, "Oh yeah," she's like, "Just ignore it," and I'm like, "No no no no, I want to yeah. see what this is." So I go over there, and it's full of rocks, oh. and and I like start sliding open the drawers. I'm like, "Wait wait wait, is is this is this yours?" And she's like, <laughs> she got really embarrassed all of a sudden. She like turned bright red, and I'm like, "Did you have a rock?" Did, are you serious? But like, that's really weird. Like you collected rocks and you put them in a a, a little toolbox and you labeled all of the little drawers. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) and she was horrified. Like she was, she was horrified. She's like, just put it away, close that drawer. And she's like, get hands out, hands off all my stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'll level with you. I had the exact same yellow box. I had the exact same rocks in mine. So, you know, Let's get married. (laughs) That's Um, (laughs)
0: very sweet.
2: Oh, Oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, terrible. But um, I collected weird stuff like that, too, and, like, pointless stuff to collect. I collected hats. Um, I decided hats mattered all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, So people would, like, I remember one day my uncle came by with, like, a garbage bag of 50 hats that were going to the, uh, like, the Goodwill or something. And he's like, do you want a hat? I'm like, no, I want all of the hats. (laughs) <laughs> and they would like, and I ended up stringing them together in a little clothesline around my room, so they kind of like hung from the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> I think kids just collect whatever's free. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I think so. We, we, you yeah. we, uh,
1: learn the value of uh, free things anyway; they become
2: precious. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear more from people who collect stuff because Father Beast—that was an awesome story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, listeners, let us know whatever kind of uh, funky collections you've amassed over the years.
2: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, the only thing I collect anymore is computer hardware. I've got a, a whole oh uh, geez, uh, twenty by twenty room, um, that's full to the ceiling with computer hardware and computer games. Uh, oh man, I've been throwing r- my hardware out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's um, it's pretty, it's pretty shocking. Um, the only rivaled only probably by Ben Chandler's insane software collection. Oh that's no my kidding. Guess.
1: Well, I do have a collection of uh, video game magazines, I suppose. My Nintendo Powers, my Computer Gaming Worlds, and PC Gamers, and all that.
2: I can't That's part with awesome. any of those. That's great.
1: Yeah. All right, why so don't we, we move along? We, <laughs> we
2: have another email, right. Yes. <laughs> this uh, is uh, the whole have... catching, catching up to two weeks' worth of stuff podcast, isn't it?
1: I know. This is kind of like Sisyphus here. but
2: uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm glad for it. This is great.
1: I know. I am too. So we have, we have two emails, as a matter of fact, from uh, a listener, Ryan Barnard. Um, oh, his first one. Hi, says, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for writing. His first one says, hey, guys, I totally call in, but I've got this terrible cold and my voice is all shot. I heard about you guys from UMBcast. cast. Thank you, Joe. We love you, Joe, and uh, have been <laughs> listening to the episodes in order. I just started episode 10 today, so I'm still a few behind. Wow. But I'll be caught up shortly. I just recently switched jobs and now I'm in the car for two hours a day, which gives me time to get through most of one episode. That's good.
2: So you can get through one episode a week. Most of.
1: Yeah. I wish I had been listening to you when you and Trolls were discussing QBasic back in the earlier episodes. I have some great stories. One about a game I made, Nibbles 2, original title I know, and my grade two (laughs) teacher's Capitalism Experiment. Another about Gold Rush 2, an adventure game I was going to make in QBasic to be a... a fan sequel to Sierra's Gold Rush, and how I oh accidentally conned somebody I met on Prodigy to send me a pirated copy of the full game of QBasic, the full paid copy of QBasic, where you could make
2: EXE files. Oh, <laughs> I'd love to hear this story. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, you, you have to send in these stories. I want to hear all three of them. Sound great. Um,
1: do you still have any of those 90s review magazine things you were mailing out in episode 8 and 9? I would love to <laughs> see it. Oh, I'm glad he reminds me. So, uh, we don't have any more physical copies, however, this week I am going to scan them and I'll put them in a PDF. And, uh, really? Will... Yeah, and I'll, I'll put this on the, uh, on the uh, blog. Uh, oh I w- man! I want all of our readers to. En- what do you think about this? I was thinking all of I, our readers deserve to enjoy this, but those precious few who are quick enough uh, can enjoy their physical copies. I I think to that's, this.
2: I think no. I think it's an amazing idea. And tell you what, if 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 our readers, our listeners, our Twitter folks uh, want this, I'm going to put out um, issue two of um, of multimedia. Uh, what was it? Uh, multimedia. MPC. Oh, M- I, just, I just know it as NPC. Yeah, um, whatever we called it. <laughs> um, I'll put out issue two of NPC sometime in the next few weeks or month. And this time, maybe I'll do a slightly larger run. We did a run mm. of eight uh, last time. Maybe we'll do 10 or 15. Um, if we have enough um, feedback and support for this, I'll go for it. If not, it's, it's a lot of work putting together MPC as you can imagine. Um, but um I've already got um a couple of tricks up my sleeve for the second and final issue, I, I assume final issue, um, which will be including some handmade artwork. So um oh, cool. Yeah, so um I yeah, our my partner and I will get on top of this and uh finally put out that uh finally put out that second issue. Please, this time Anatoly, get a hold of us early. So Anatoly you deserve a copy. Um and you need to have this. So
0: mm-hmm.
2: um please, please, please. Get us your uh, mailing addresses. I'll just say it now. Get us your mailing address, and we will make sure, if you, if you get a hold of us uh, via Twitter or via the email address. Uh, what's your email address again?
1: SquareFM at demodulated.com, or we are at SquareFM on Twitter. Do get a hold yeah. of us and uh, send us your address, preferably by so email, will... SquareFM at demodulated.com, and yeah. we'll send them to you.
2: Exactly, and and we will get that issue out to you. And uh, sometimes it takes up to a few weeks. It blew me away that Avi got his before people in the United States did. It mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense to me. But we'll uh, we do this for free, do this for fun, just because we're all DOS loving people. And secondly, I'd love some some submissions. Um, if you read MPC Volume One, if you have a chance to read it. Um, and you're willing to write something goofy and silly, or or maybe even serious? Um, I'd love to publish it. So, totally, uh, 300 words thereabouts. Yeah, 250 to 300 words, and uh, I lovingly type these up on an old, ancient typewriter that barely uh, that ribbon barely works anymore. And uh, <laughs> and then we go and uh, xerox all of these. Uh, uh, spend the entire weekend xeroxing and uh, collating and stapling everything together. So. I'd love to do this. Get in your submissions. It can be about anything, um, but read NPC Volume 0 to get a sense for what it's like, and we'd love to hear from you. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: All right. I'll I'll put some info on the blog about this. Cool. All right. uh, So he says uh, he also loved the reflection of the Sierra Network in the early multiplayer episodes and the BBS door (laughs) games. I had uh, a lot I wished I could have said about Trade Wars 2002. Innocent 9- or 10-year-old me definitely learned the hard way about forging alliances and what happens if you get manipulated into betraying them. I'll put a call oh, out right wow. now, by the way. It's never too late to talk about the past. I mean, we're dredging up 30-year-old oh, yeah. memories here anyway. Go nuts, guys. Call, talk to exactly. us back anything
2: just, anytime. Please, just tell us your stories, and we'll we'll communicate them back to everybody else. I consider the Trade Wars, BBS stuff, um, stuff about, I don't know, um, the Imagination Network, all of that stuff, all fair game. I, I want to keep talking about those things. I don't want them just to be singular episodes that we move on from.
1: For sure. So he says, I hope I could write forever, but I'll hold off until I get caught up to your latest episode. Hopefully by then my cold will be over and my voice will be back. Keep up the great work. Well, we, as much as we appreciate this, he, in fact, did not hold off until next time and did not feel any better. <laughs> he sent us another email, uh, a quick one, which is about today's topic. I assume today's topic, unless we uh, yammer ourselves away into yet another postponement, Uh, he writes once again to say, sorry, a quick follow-up to my previous email. I saw you guys are going to be talking about MMOs for this week's podcast. This week being a bit of a stretch, perhaps. Um, (laughs) Have you guys ever played Tibia? It's one of the oldest MMOs out there. It came out in early 1997. Oh. I didn't discover oh. it until I went to university in the year 2000 when a friend got me hooked on it. I had never How seen anything like that? it before. T-I-B-I-A. Tibia. Wow. Never At heard of this. I, I huh. uh, Yeah, I looked this up on, uh, on uh, Google Images and had uh, never heard of it before. Um, Crazy. Crazy. Each server would hold something like a thousand players, and the world was PvP. If you died, you dropped everything on you, so it was really scary leaving the non-PVP zones like the town. I have wonderful memories of venturing out to a dungeon with my friend, getting loads of wonderful loot, and being scared to death trying to get back down to town without getting killed by another player and having all my loot taken. (laughs) (laughs) sometimes if you got really lucky you'd get more loot than you could carry in your inventory in that case you could keep a loot bag on the ground and fill it up To move it, you'd have to be standing next to it and then you could click and drag it to where you wanted to throw it. When you were done questing, you'd have to do this to throw it over a hundred times to get back to town and sell the items or put it in the bank. The problem was, the bag wasn't considered yours by the game. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Anybody could walk up and throw your bag away from you. So when you started getting close to town, you had to be very careful somebody didn't run up to you and steal your bag. My friend and I have some epic memories of dealing with bag thieves and tossing loot bags back and forth trying to get it to a safe place <laughs> and away from the other players who were trying to steal it. Characters were blocking Characters were blocking in the game, so if you could get the bag into a room with a door that was one block size wide, you could stand in the door, and then your loot would finally be safe. Okay. Anyway, great game, great <laughs> memories. Can't wait to hear the memories you guys have as well. Thanks for the great podcast. Oh, That's awesome. Thank oh, you so much, that's Ryan. Awesome. Terrific, uh, terrific uh, uh, emails and we love your, your memories of uh, all the same stuff that we know and love too. I had not heard of Tibia. Have you ever heard you haven't heard of that one either, huh?
2: You know, it's funny. It took me a while and I was just like trying to trying to dredge it out of my memory. I'm like, Tibia, Tibia. I'm like, doesn't ring a bell. Doesn't ring a bell. And then I remembered Tibia. I don't remember when it came out. It seemed to came out, come out around the time of Ultima Online. Mm-hmm. But it was Basically, like an Ultima 6-like, well, I guess Ultima-like interface with much more basic graphics.
1: It totally looks um, like that, yes.
2: Yeah, and it was like a, so, it, so I guess that would be an isometric or possibly diametric perspective where you're kind of looking down at an angle, top yeah. down. And it looked it looked very, very similar. The um, the, the interface was a bit more basic, so you, you had uh, item slots for your armor and all stuff like that. You didn't have the fancy paper doll gumps that you had in Ultima Online, but it looked really fun, and it looked like it was much more organized around, I don't know, around chat, around socializing. Um, I'm, I'm looking I, at it a screenshot, and you're, like, describing it to a T. Yeah, I don't remember. If, like, I remember certain things. Like, Ultima Online, for instance, had um, the text appeared above your head, but in Tibia, I think there was, like, a chat box, kind of World of Warcraft style. Uh, so yeah, could, it looks
1: like, yeah, it looks kind of like in, um, It looks like it has kind of draggable... Uh, uh, boxes within certain, uh, oh, yes. frames. Oh, yeah, that's right.
2: Sort yeah, like a little Ultima. mini, yeah, like a little mini UI. Hmm. And it, yeah. oh, man. It looks I very much like Ultima. It, I only played it once, and I remember it being particularly good, and I was really shocked at how populated the world was, um, because I just as naturally assumed that everyone played UO. Um, I didn't, I didn't think anybody played some of these other games that I barely knew anything about. hmm I wonder what happened with it. Did it stick around?
1: uh i don't know
0: <laughs>
1: this is my first uh, time ever hearing of it yeah uh, i the wonder the if... wikipedia site is in past tense <laughs> that's oh, as okay. much as i know
2: so, so it's been gone for a while okay Probably. that's that's really wild um i i i geez i was trying to dredge that out but oh, oh man i remember I, still seeing, out. I remember seeing the ads it's still out
1: yeah, tibia.com. It's still going since 1997. <laughs> Holy smokes. Wow,
2: that's amazing. Very so impressive. It's like, oh, that is Yeah, that is definitely a compatriot of uh, U, 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 Ultima Online. That's yeah. really, really shocking.
1: Seems to be. Boy, that's cool.
2: Neato. Oh, I'm well, not able to so load much, the website. Ryan.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. That was terrific. All right. Uh, next up. Have I done a good job of naming my files here? I have. We have a voicemail from uh, Joe Mestrioni. Oh, Joe! Oh, Joe. Yo, Joe. Thank you so much, as always, Joe. Let's uh, throw this on and see what he's got to say this week.
4: Morning, guys. Joe here, just sitting in traffic uh, on the 401 on the way to work. So uh, figured I would uh, pop in with some uh, of my MMO memories, since you guys asked for those. And um, that was actually, <laughs> I guess, compared to some a uh, latecomer. MMOs, and that is actually because I actively avoided them for a very long time. You know, I had, um, wasn't so much a friend, it was kind of a boyfriend of a friend of a friend who was really, really hardcore into, uh, Ultima Online, you know, back in, back in the day, and, um, you know, he played it a ton, and, you know, we talked about it incessantly, and all that, and, I, I always thought that it was... I had never played Ultima, and I still to this day haven't played an Ultima, which is uh, maybe one of those list of shame things, handed my geek card and, and all that noise, and I'll have to cover it on, on UMBCast one of these days. But uh, that aside, um, you know, I always remember his girlfriend kind of complaining about him and that he was always on the thing and he was always tying up the phone. And uh, I think that was one of the reasons that I was never really able, first of all, I wasn't able to get into it because at the time I lived at home and we had one phone line and we, I couldn't stay on the modem since that was kind of pre, uh, pre, pre high speed internet. And so, uh, you know, I think my parents, my parents would have murdered me. They were already pretty mad at me for, you know, playing BBS door games and stuff. And, you know, that's not, those aren't things usually, in things like trade wars and usurper you had a limited number of turns or a limited amount of energy per day which was set by the uh by the sysop and so you couldn't play it for hours and hours on end and uh and also i just had this really weird aversion to uh non-direct link online gaming for some reason i thought like I'm on dial-up, it's 3K per second, it's not fast enough to do this properly, it's going to be crappy, it's going to be laggy, and it's going to be horrible. So I, I stayed away from MMOs for a long time, probably until about 2003. And for some reason, City of Heroes actually piqued my interest. And uh, I, I don't know why, but I, I must have like read a review about it on some site or something like that. And I got my hands on and I said, ah, you know, it looks like fun. It's a free month and and I'll try. And I started playing City of Heroes and I really, really enjoyed it. And I played that probably until 05. And obviously in the intervening time in 2004, uh, you know, World of Warcraft had come out. And I was obviously a big Warcraft fan. And, uh, you know, everyone was talking about how World of Warcraft was out. And it was incredible. And it's the best MMO ever. And it already, you know, it started breaking all kinds of records and so eventually when I started tiring of City of Heroes because to be perfectly honest the gameplay was somewhat repetitive and grindy though creating your hero was really awesome because the hero creator was was super detailed in that game I'm not even sure I don't think it's around anymore it may have closed down but uh but that was a fun game if you hadn't played it and um I switched over to WoW and at first because of the whole like talent spec system and stuff uh, it was very different from City of Heroes from city in city of Heroes you kind of had like a, a set list of, of talents and you would put points into them but it was it was slightly different like you could you could uh, stack stats in different ways like you would have these tokens I guess that would either give you more damage or more health or more whatever and you would put those into different powers. And so it was a slightly different setup than it was in, in Warcraft, but eventually I got the hang of it, and uh, I became a WoW player for many years until, I guess, Cataclysm, and then I kind of burned out, I joined a really great guild called the Leia Yacta Est, which is one of the, uh, I don't know if it still is, but I, I believe it is, but it's uh, it was one of the biggest WoW guilds in the world, uh, numbers-wise, and it was a really, you know, and it still remains to this day, I play, like, a Clash of Clans with them and, and other things in other games, but, um, you know, it was a really great community, and I made a lot of, uh, a lot of friends and things like that, so, uh, you know, I can't say anything bad about, uh, my MMO experiences, and I've played other ones, I, I, off and on playing, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, but, uh, I feel like, at least for me, my MMO days have, have passed, maybe it's just a question of time investment, there's a lot of different games, obviously I have to play a lot of games for, for UMBCast, Cast. So uh, my time that I have to devote to a single game is is less. So unfortunately, um, I haven't found an MMO that that's piqued my interest really for a long time since WoW. But uh, yeah, as always, great show, guys. Thanks a lot for, uh, for taking my calls and playing them, even though if they get a little rambly. And uh, yeah, keep it up and uh, look forward to uh, hearing other people's thoughts on MMOs.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Joe. That's a great call. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, Joe.
1: Did uh, did you ever have an aversion to
2: MMOs, or do you still? Um, you know what, I developed, it's funny, I, I was kind of the opposite of Joe. Um, I, I developed an aversion to them over time. Hmm. Um, I, I was, back in the 90s, I was so excited about the idea of multiplayer anything. Um, you know, the idea of going past two players was just, blew my mind, you know, and and then adding Persistent World to it, which was really the next biggest step after that, um, really blew me away, Um, and then, you know, what happened, I played all online, I played, I I was actually more about the betas, I get really excited about the betas, because they were always the Wild West kind of experience, Mm -hmm. Um, and what I found was, and we can talk about this later on, but games... MMO specifically became very lo- locked down, controlled experiences. After a while, um, it lost kind of that madness that uh, that uh, Ryan was talking about in um, Tibia, where you know you have to stand to block the door to prevent people from robbing or killing you. Um, and I really loved the games actually when they were when they were just a little bit dangerous and nuts, and you could die at a, you know at every turn and lose everything. They were almost like high-stakes gambling, just stepping out of your town is like Russian roulette. Um, and I found that, especially after EverQuest and we got into the World of Warcraft uh, uh, um, kind of type games, that games became, yeah, very locked down. They became much more about pro-social, happy, friendly experiences between guildmates. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I guess... I guess I kind of like the antisocial, insane, psychopath murderer experiences that were that kind of that kind of described every single 1990s RPG.
1: Oh, I guess so. Well, I mean, there's no shortage of uh, MMOs that have player versus player in world. Does that does even that uh, not entice you?
2: Yeah, no, that never did entice me. To be honest, um, I always found that um, what, what what the move was was oh, instead of having a mixed player versus player role playing and um, you know, uh, Safe World. What they did was they separated all three of those. So you either play on the role-playing server, you play on the PvP server, or you play on like the safety nerfed server. Right. Um And I always found it was so much more fun when all three were mixed together because it was like I don't know, it was just like this little simulated planet. This is like a, a, a Lord of the Flies kind of experiment. Um, uh, see, I'll and, tell you
1: right now, it's it's fun for the PvP people on that kind of a server, and that's it. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's very that's very, that's very true. And the funny thing is, maybe I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses because I was not one of the PvP people. I never, I never did really fight with other people very much. Um, I was actually one of the uh, solo, run off into the woods, try to build my own house and live with the birds and squirrels and fish stuff. Um, and I would actually like have these nights where I was up till two in the morning mining ore off the coast of Trinsic or something, and um, have uh, some ogre show up or some PVPers show up and kill me and take all my shit and I would freak the hell out. Mm-hmm. I would be like, I can't fucking believe that! You know, 12 hours of work wasted! Um, kind of thing. So, you know, I look back at this romantically, but I bet you at the time I just hated every minute of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and <laughs> I, just, I just, I guess I just kind of miss, I miss the, the fresh, new feeling where you feel like you really are exploring a new place and that this is all undiscovered country
0: mm-hmm.
2: and, Sure, uh, I think
1: when the genre was brand new then that was just such a shiny, interesting new concept and nowadays a lot of them, to a great extent, are kind of cut from the same mold so you don't yeah, really they get are. that same feel of uh, of uh, newness and exploration
2: Yeah, and I miss, I, I really do miss that because um, I, I feel like, I really noticed it when I got into World of Warcraft beta that all of a sudden, um a lot of the um, goofiness and silliness that I had treasured in the old games was really, really um, paired away to focus on certain kinds of experiences that they wanted the players to have, like really, right. really solid guild stuff. Like in Ultima Online, there was no guild support. Um, there was absolutely none. So and there was no party support, too, when you first played the game. So the only way you could have a guild or a party was to call yourself one. Mm-hmm. And... Players had to come up with ways of um, of, cre- of of joining guilds. So what we did was um, in Ultima Online, at least. I don't remember what happened in EverQuest. I think EverQuest did have a guild support. Um, Ultima Online, when you typed in your player's name, you put in brackets beside it a three-letter um, description that you know, GSG, green Skirt Guild. Right,
1: like a clan. And
2: yeah it would be your clan name and i think that was something that had fo- kind of followed over from quake um i think so yeah I
0: think,
2: yeah and I, I i really liked it not i know this makes me sound like an old man but i really liked it when players had to rely on their imagination and their creativity to come up with those kinds of solutions um instead of having the game kind of railroad you into uh doing that your you know w- with all of the built in support and you know, in these days in World of Warcraft and in a lot of other games, you have like your own guild page built into their um, their servers, where it shows all of your stats and stuff like that. I don't know, that's just my opinion.
1: Oh sure. Well, um, I have one little parallel to what you were saying because I mean, you like that kind of appendia of all of the different types of yeah, uh, gameplay all coming. That's a great way to put it. Into one. Um. So me, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, it was really due to WoW that I really got fed up with uh, world Pv- PVP. Um, oh. Because I myself, you know, I'm not really an adversarial sort of a person, and I don't really, in- uh, at first, I wouldn't at all just engage with anyone who was doing combat. Either I would fight them back sure. while they were killing me, or before long, I would figure out that the people who were attacking other players were good enough at the game that it didn't matter. So if somebody stabbed yeah. me, I would either just stand there and, like, look at them, <laughs> I would like, look them in the eyes while they're killing me, <laughs> or after a while, they got boring, so I would just kind of start dancing until I fell over and blood to death. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's great. I, I played for a few years on uh, PVP servers just cause that's where my friends were and I couldn't right. stand it anymore. So, um, after unsubscribing, I think for like two years or so, oh, <laughs> because wow. I was so fed up with, uh, I was so fed up with being killed all the time. I, uh, rolled on, uh, a, a, like I re- I established myself on a role-playing server, even though I'm not really a role-playing kind of a guy, but, yeah. um, I kind of found like the most, uh, congenial people, Uh, were on the role-playing servers. People were just nicer in general to their fellow man. And it was really eerie having Horde play. If I made an Alliance character, as I most frequently did, it was so weird having a Horde character right there. And sometimes we would... You know, if uh, if one of us was running towards, like, a mining node or a, an herb or something something that we sure. wanted to exploit, one of us, like, I would, like, bow and let the other guy take it, and he would wave <laughs> back. We're supposed to be these horrible arch enemies that kill each other on sight, and instead we're, like,
2: uh, totally uh, friendly to each other. So that I I, I quite enjoyed. I really like that, because that reminds me uh, the Ultima Online, and even, even a little bit with EverQuest. EverQuest kind of got the, took on a lot more goofier tone. Um, But Ultima Online specifically had a very, very, very dedicated, hardcore audience of role-playing people. I would say it was about 10% of the game um, had people who would... Yeah, for a a game of that size, it was huge. I think Ultima players in general like things like cosplay. They like things like speaking in Middle English. They like things like um, bowing and saluting so um the the game actually yeah, had some built in built in behaviors like salute bow um that kind of thing. They didn't have mm-hmm. dance um but I remember it was a it was a big deal um for instance, when the role players and there was no way to signify your role player, you just had to speak in what would you call it in character um yeah, sure and um when you'd meet one of these guys, they would usually be dressed in a very uh, particular fashion, and they would salute you, and they would be like, Hai- Hail, Britannian, and you'd say, Hail, good day, you know, good morrow to thee. And mm-hmm. I loved it. It was so much fun. It made it feel a lot more like the old Ultima uh, single-player game experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made everything a little bit more ritualistic. So, for instance, if you ever PVP'd um, versus... Uh, one of these people, you could actually say, "I yield," and they would, you know, stop killing you in the middle of uh, a PvP battle. Oh, I um, like that. Yeah, it was great, and you, you know, and then you could bow down and kind of just accept that you had lost the battle, and the person would kind of uh, wave at you or shake hands or whatever. Well, they can't shake hands in the game, but they would kind of like um, type out "shakes hands" uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing, and it was just kind of like there was like a very gentlemanly kind of. Uh, um, approach to PvP that I remember, and that wasn't often you'd have that, but uh, there were a few guilds that were specifically role-playing oriented and they really, really uh, I don't know, they just gave a lot of spirit, soul, and character to the game for that reason hmm. well, that's and, nice. you know, equally counterbalanced by 80% of the players which were total psychopaths, right? Yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> You know, like po- poison the horse so you can watch the horse die while the newbies, like, trying to understand why his horse is dying um <laughs> uh, yeah that kind of stuff so i yeah i really um i really do miss that 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 part of it i and i'm really glad that uh, world of warcraft did actually make a separate kind of play area for rpgers
1: yeah they do i appreciate that too the other role players well um now that i'm playing or you know when as uh, infrequently as i am subscribed i'm kind of like on again off again i like get yeah. the feeling to subscribe uh, once every two months or so, I like subscribe for a month, I play it for a week, I get tired of it, and it peters out right. and then I resubscribe another couple of months later but um uh playing on the role playing servers you 'll you 'll know who is a role player essentially, just kind of by looking at them um and it 's not like there 's an in game way for you to denote yourself as a role player right. but uh if you 're in a town you 'll know that anyone who is walking and not running.
3: They are a role <laughs> player because
1: who would who runs around town ordinarily? So that's really that's, funny. You're
2: absolutely right.
1: I really do like that. That's sort of like the, the you can you can talk old fashioned to me kind of a yeah kind of a tell. So I like that very much. And uh, the role players tend to gravitate towards inns. And um, there are some, like, ins that are notoriously, like, for the role players. And so either if you're a serious role player or someone who wants to screw with them, which is fine (laughs) with the role players because they take it all in stride and they turn that into a story. I I just love that. So I do have one fun... uh, uh, role playing uh, story. Um, I've never really been that much into role playing at all, but there was one person who I just decided, okay, what the heck? Um, because this person um, engaged me, and they were like, "Oh, hello there, uh, Mister Nice." I was hoping that I could trouble you to uh, perform a task for me. I'm like, "Oh, a player's giving me a, a quest. Wow. That's awesome." That's, so I said, that's "Okay, sure. How can I help you?" And so she, said, uh, this guy said, "Oh, my uh, my daughters are getting married, um, uh, but uh, my." Uh, but my uh, seamstress uh is nowhere to be found if i give you these piles of cloth can you fashion for me uh, some uh, wedding dresses so that they can have the happiest wow. uh, the happiest day possible so i uh, ended up uh, making three wedding dresses or something uh, of different styles and said, here you go, I hope your daughters have a happy day. They can choose whichever ones they like. And so the guy <laughs> paid me, like, 50 copper, which is, like, twice as much as the materials cost, but it's an insignificant right. amount of money. And he said, and for your trouble, why don't you take this wedding dress and I hope that you'll make some girl very happy someday. <laughs> and so I, like, bowed to him and promptly put on, uh, I'm, I'm like this great great, big, beefy, burly, Long blonde-haired man. I promptly put on the wedding dress myself. I said, "I think I'll thank you very much, but I'll make some man happy one day." And I walked. I made sure to walk, and I walk away wearing this beautiful dress. That was such a fun little thing. That was unforgettable. That must have been like four or five years ago now. But
2: oh my god, I love it! I can imagine this guy's eyes popping out of his head. It's like, well, good day to thee, madam/slash sir.
0: (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, that was just such a memorable little thing. So that's something that I just love about Warcraft and about uh, online gaming multiplayer as well. And so I guess I'll tie that into myself saying that I first had an aversion to massively multiplayer games, uh, but for practical reasons, really, where I would think, okay, you have to buy a game box for, like, 50 bucks, and you have to subscribe for $15 a month. And so essentially... um, for your first year, you're paying like $230 to play a exactly. game. And how many games could I buy for that much money? So uh, that that's what kept me away from uh, MMOs for quite some time. Then I uh, had my friend give me Guild Wars, which I could play without a subscription as much as I wanted to, or as little as I wanted to. That was the most important part, being able to play as wow. little as I wanted to. Um, and that's what kind of got me interested into in the massively multiplayer sort of a world, where at least the towns were populated by, I think, up to a hundred people at a time or so. I talked about this in our last episode, yeah. so we won't talk too much about it, but, uh, that's what convinced me to try out a couple of other games. Um including WoW, but uh, one that I tried, uh, as I guess it was already starting to wane, was City of Heroes, which Joe mentioned right. being really into. And I had friends who were really into it, and I watched their screens, and I'm like, okay, well, you basically grind enemies, and you do these very superficial quests, and sometimes you go into a, a warehouse. And every warehouse looks exactly the same, and you clear all the enemies out of the warehouse until you click the one glowing thing. We would call it yes. click the shiny. You go in the warehouse, you kill everyone, you click the shiny and you go out, and that's basically the whole game, except that you Uh, can create characters that look awesome, as Joe mentions. and what I liked about that game, I did play it for a short while, was just the freedom of movement, where you could have, like, super speed, or you could fly. That's something you couldn't do in the other MMOs, and it's like a modern-day urban environment, so it's just super rewarding to to navigate those sorts of uh, environments. Um, I do have City of Heroes in my notes, and I love my notes, because I only have... I didn't play it for long, so my only two notes are sewers and Molly Ringwald, which I will, I will describe now. So my character that I decided to make in City of Heroes was Molly Ringwald. I like That's fashion awesome. this girl who looked just like Molly Ringwald, and I put, dressed her in pink, and she wore these uh, pink leg warmers, and she, shot, she could fly, and she shot lightning out of her wrists. So that, and she was this cute, red-headed girl. So and she's was... able
2: to put on lipstick using only her boobs.
1: Oh man, I should have. <laughs> I don't think I had lipstick on. Her <laughs> that's now a, that that's I think. a real
2: superhero. Uh, it <laughs> is. <laughs> that was
1: her superpower. That and the shooting lightning out of her wrists. So that made the game a whole lot more fun because people would wave at me and laugh at me and message me about that. So that that was a nice way to make friends. But um, City of Heroes was probably the first MMO that really, really gave me an MMO moment. Like, oh, I'm playing exactly. What I'm playing is exactly what I envisioned when I thought of MMOs. Um, And it was when my wife and I tried playing... My girlfriend at the time uh, tried playing it. I don't know if it was a demo or if we just decided to subscribe one month. Um, The two of us were smashing around doing whatever, killing some enemies, and... Uh, two or three other people asked, oh, we're, we're just going to fly around in the sewers. Would you like to join us and kill a bunch of enemies? So we're like, okay, sure, why not? I don't know if we had grouped with anybody else at the time. So we grouped up with these uh, couple of other people. We went into the sewers, and they were more powerful than us, and were killing faster than us. But just the pace of it, we were, like, just smash, 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 like, killing enemy after enemy, and then using our super... Movement powers to just proceed faster and faster, and just the <laughs> this feeling of progressing so quickly, and we're so much stronger as a group than we were when we were solo. Like that was That's the very cool. That was like the ultimate MMO feeling that I don't even know if I've captured again quite so much in any other game. But just finding a pickup wow. group and playing together for a little while, and then one of them would drop off, but we would continue, and then we got bored of it, so we stopped after a while. But it was just that that short, brief moment that has always stuck with me as. Just the, the quintessential MMO experience is what I got from City of Heroes, so I that's, enjoyed my brief stint with
2: that. That's really nice. You know, that's something I, I, I was, like, waxing poetically about how amazing Diablo was for multiplayer, but, you know, the one thing I really got out of MMOs was it got me used to this idea of meeting strangers and then actually going on adventures with them. Um mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't something I would ever do in Diablo. Like, I always played with my own IRC chat people. Um, I never met strangers, never went out on adventures. And I really found with MMOs, not always, but sometimes um, you'd have these kind of great... Sometimes they would just be service jobs where you're just bashing monsters and healing each other and da-da-da-da. But sometimes it was really fun. You'd kind of have these lulls in the quest where you'd have to go from place to place and you could have enough time. I think it was also online. You could actually type while you were walking because the mm-hmm. um, mouse controlled the walking uh, the walking uh, controls. So okay. you'd have these like little brief conversations walking towards the forest. And, you know, I'd sometimes get to play with a Japanese player, and they'd be really, really excited because I'd speak English with them, and they could try their English back at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those little moments like that, I I can't say that I made any long-lasting friendships out of it, but I definitely... Um, got me used to this idea that, wow, you know what? It can be actually fun playing a game with a stranger and getting to know who they are. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's
1: sometimes a rare thing because sometimes people are undesirable or they... They just act annoyingly, or they're playing it for their own selfish gains at any cost, which it causes a great inconvenience to you. Like, that's usually, I think, what happens when you encounter another person in an NMO, yeah. just because of the way either either the, way the rules are structured or because the rules aren't structured to facilitate cooperation. So it's yeah, extra nice right. when you meet somebody nice.
2: Well, I, I was just thinking of, did you ever play Journey, um, the PS3 game?
1: No, I did not.
2: Oh, okay, well it's a very simple idea the, what they do is it's an anonymous multiplayer. So you, um, have, um, the, you know, the goal of the game for anybody who's never played journey is to get from point A to point B. And you have to go through a lot of puzzles, a lot of different landscapes, and you're mostly just walking, running, and gliding, and flying. But what they do is they randomly inject other players into your, um, your, um, follower NPC's body. Um, so, you'll be running along, and all of a sudden, you'll see your, your friendly NPC friend pop up beside you, and you're like, oh, cool, I've got an NPC. So, they follow you around. But the part that blew me away was about um, a couple of minutes into playing this, I'm like, oh, my NPC's being really weird. She's like running up this, this tapestry and flying up in the air, and then emoting a bunch of like little, little symbols above her head. That's strange. And it took me like two minutes to realize, I'm like, oh my God human beings controlling that player like mm-hmm. that's, that's actually a person holy shit um, and it was really fun so we started emoting at each other and jumping around because you can only emote one, different, one little symbol I think um, mm. and I actually found it really annoying <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I was just like I was the kind of player like come on let's just fucking get this over with like I want to keep moving but the problem is unless they follow you you're kind of stuck in the area that you are you both need to make uh. it to the exit And, um, I actually found it really, really annoying and I found it actually, it was supposed to facilitate more positive social relationships between the players. But I'm like,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I was, I was unfortunately being the type like, oh, let's just get a move on. I want to finish this damn game. And the other Mm -hmm. person's like, no, 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 I want to like jump around and emotes each other and dance around and stuff. Um, so it kind of ended up be, be kind of, um, becoming the opposite of the experience that I think, um. Jenova um, Chen intended, which is uh, mm-hmm. too bad. Too bad that jerks like me exist in that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I guess if they limit the ways that you can communicate with each other, that's kind of hard to tell what sort of a gamer you're
2: playing with. Yeah, exactly. Are- and, and unfortunately, I was like the, yeah, get the get story over with kind of gamer.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a valid type. There are there are like four archetypes of players. I can't remember what they are. There's like the yes. explorers and the achievers, and uh, I don't know. There's four of them. And so yeah, it's based on that, I think his name is
2: Justin Chan. I can't remember his uh, typology. He's an academic. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Uh, I thought that was I thought it was pretty accurate uh, way of describing it. It was. I thought so too. So I just realized I didn't thank you, Joe, for for bringing all of this up. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for your call. Shall we... Oh, gosh, look at the time. Shall we proceed to the next uh, voicemail?
2: Please? Do we have more? <laughs> we have two more. Can you believe oh it? Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> so happy. This is. We'll call this the Catching Up with Old Friends episode.
1: Okay, let's call it that. So, uh, let's catch up with our old friend, Trolls, who has a story about Commodore 64 for us. I can't wait to hear yes. this.
5: Hey, Squares. Um, it's me, the Space Quest Historian Dude. Um, I was just listening to uh, uh, your show, your last episode, on my way home from work, and I uh, was listening to Chris's uh, heartbreaking story about frying his computer with uh, his new Adlib sound card, and uh, it just brought, brought a uh, you know a flood of memories back from uh, from my early computing days, um, uh, pre PC actually. So I figured I'd just you know quickly share a, a little story of my own of uh, completely fucking up uh, precious pieces of hardware. Um, Back when I was a very very young little kid from Denmark, um, my my dad got this uh, Commodore sixty four. I think I've told this on uh, when when I was on your show. Uh, he got the Commodore sixty four uh, around uh, mid to late eighties, uh, and uh, at some point he realized that I was completely monopolizing this machine. You know, I'd, I'd have uh, the few friends I had at school. I'd have them over and you know play track and field and winter games and whatever. Um, And uh, he didn't actually get to play with it that much. So, when the opportunity arose for me to actually get my own Commodore 64, uh, I was, you know, completely over the moon, and so was he, because that meant he could actually start fucking with this machine on his own, uh, the one that he'd actually paid for. And uh, I'm not sure how this went down, because my dad uh, pretty much took care of all the details, but it transpired that I got my very own c64 with two joysticks and uh, i think even a a, you know a box of pirated games came along with it and uh you know i took it up to my room and i was completely over the moon excited and i I plugged this thing in as i've you know done many many times and um I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, the Commodore 64 hardware, but, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, it, it came with a disk drive. This this bit is very important too. It didn't come with a tape deck, it came with a disk drive. Now with Commodore 64 hardware, there's the, uh, you know, the power supply, and then there's the disk drive. And they both fit into um, the same kind of outlets. You know, the plug at the end of the disk drive and the plug at the end of the power supply, they kind of look the same. At least they fit into the same fucking slot on the back of the c64 so sorry that was my phone just uh, going so me sitting there in my room trying to connect up my very very own commodore 64 for the very first time i put these things in and i turn it on and it just goes and it shuts down and i go what the fuck did i what did, did, did we just get a broken c64 what the hell just happened And, of course, it turns out that I plugged the disk drive into the power supply uh, on the C64. And that apparently causes a huge meltdown of epic proportions. Uh, That basically fries the entire fucking circuit board inside the machine.
1: Oh, well, his voicemail just cuts off there. Oh, no! Uh, Oh, I suppose we got the gist of it. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey listeners, I don't know what happened to Troll's voicemail while we were recording. It cut off prematurely, but uh, now that I check it in post-production, the file seems totally fine. So I'll play the end of it here, and uh, then we'll return to a very astonished Chris and Brian wondering what happened to the rest of it.
5: And I was just sitting there, mouth agape, and like uh, Chris said, you know, your heart sinks, you shrink, your balls jump into your... Well, my balls hadn't dropped yet at that point, but anyway, if I had balls, they would have just completely retracted into my body and i was just sitting there looking at the television screen because you you had to hook that thing up to a television just looking at it going why isn't this thing working what have i done my god and i had to sheepishly walk down the stairs to where my dad was sitting and he was just going so how's your machine and i go i fucking broke it i must have broken it somehow and he just he just walks up and looks at all the wires sticking out of it and he goes my god i i have i have created an idiot uh so uh so i had uh, my very own precious c64 for uh, i just suppose a total of 30 minutes and then i completely fucked it up so uh yeah just wanted to commiserate on that little interesting event um as always keep up the good work you guys are entertaining as hell thank you for starting uh, your show with a seinfeld quote of course that's my wife's and my uh, one of our favorite shows and uh, thank you, Brian, for doing the uh, theme song for my uh, Adventure Jam uh, game. Uh, that thing was really interesting uh, and really rocking. I've, I've got nothing but uh, positive reactions for that uh, soundtrack. So, uh, yeah, keep up the good work, stay slinky, uh, stay cool, and uh, I'll talk to you later.
2: That, that is I, so painful. As soon as you said Commodore 1541 disk drive and power supply, I thought, oh, God, I see where this is going. Oh,
1: yeah, didn't it have like a kind of an NES sort of a looking like seven or eight pin uh, plug?
2: It did. It had a round, uh, I think it's called a, an eight pin DIN. It's a round plug that uh, looks like you plug a cassette tape into or something. Um, it's, it's, it's awful. I just totally remember now. Um, the Commodore 64 was really weird. It had this massive power brick. Um, for the commodore 64 but the the gross thing is depending on the type of disc drive trolls got trolls you got um i assume it's a 1541 it actually had the power supply inside of the disc drive um so i don't know did you ever have a commodore 64 i can't remember if i've asked this before
1: no i didn't but i had close friends who owned them, so i've got a lot of playtime on them but never setting the one up
2: Oh, the 1541 disk drive weighs about 25 pounds, just the disk drive alone, and it's the size of, I don't know, uh, an AT class computer cut down to about six inches tall.
0: So okay, it's it,
2: yeah, it's like a little mini computer, and the developer of it says, "Yep, there's a whole computer system inside the disk drive, including the power supply and the actual drive itself." So yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and it weighs about 10 times more than the Commodore 64 itself. Man. Uh, Trolls. That's so sad. I wish. I, I need. I need some closure on this. I need to know what happened. Did your dad get you a new Commodore sixty four, or were you totally fucked after that? Um, I need to know.
1: Yeah, geez, man. What is this, uh, episodic story time? Yeah, we definitely need to know how this one how this one closes off. I assume there was another two minutes of swearing or so, but we probably had some closure to the story as well. So, Charles, please don't leave us hanging and let us know next week what happened to your C64. Presumably they would, like, take it back to the store. You could just, like, tell them, oh, it never worked. Oh, it didn't work, yeah. I don't know, I don't I, know what's I wrong so. with it. Because <laughs> these were just, like, cheap off-the-shelf computers, weren't they? The they, they were. Was like a...
2: Yeah. I ended up learning quite a bit about them. They they had a little cheap Z eighty uh, Zilog Z eighty processor. So, um, I believe that would be the same. Pro- oh, am I going to get this wrong? I'm ninety percent sure it's the same processor that's using the Game Boy and the uh, Texas TI eighty five calculator. Um, oh really?
3: Yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah. Um, it's a it's a little one megahertz uh, processor, and the funny that's what thing I was going to
1: say, geez,
2: yeah, it's slim. unbelievable what that thing pulls off. Um. And you can fry that thing so easily. Because, okay, so there's like 100 or 200 or 500 or 1,000 arcade games that all use that same processor, too.
1: I was about uh, to say it sounded familiar from the No Quarter podcast, that yeah,
2: processor. Yeah, exactly. It's the first thing to go. Like, no joke. On uh... every every circuit board I've ever fried, and I've fried a few now, um, doing arcade repairs, it's the first thing I swap. as I pull out that old piece of shit Z80. Uh, usually it's a Z80A. Uh, processor, and it's usually yeah toast. And I have no idea what makes a processor fry. Sometimes they said it's like too high of a voltage load on one of the pins, or blah blah blah. I have no idea. But mm-hmm. all I can hope, trolls. Wh- here's what I'm hoping you're gonna say is, you took it back to the store, and some well-meaning, good smart technician dude prop- pops it open. He's like, here, here's your problem, buddy. You see, you've got a Z80, <laughs> and he like pops it out with a screwdriver, plops it back in. Um, And then, you know, you have a working board within, like, four minutes. But uh, actually, you know what's funny? Remember how I brought up that movie, that Australian film that everyone should watch um, about um, the WikiLeaks guy? Uh, Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh,
1: Julian Assange. Julian Assange, yeah. Yeah, Um, you mentioned it last time.
2: Yeah, the the movie actually has a scene of him prying out the Z D D and replacing it. (laughs) Huh. So, Trolls, yeah, look up that movie. I can't remember what the title of it was um, right now, but it's a, it's a uh, Film Australia or Film Melbourne movie about Julian Assange's early years. And, Trolls, you are just going to, like, wet your panties watching this guy take apart <laughs> a part of Commodore 64 on the spot and do a good job. He did a good job repairing that thing. I was really impressed.
0: Oh, that's
1: super cool. And yeah, never having owned a a C64, I can only assume that when you go to a store to buy one, they give you your computer as well as a box of pirated games, because everyone (laughs) I've ever known with a C64 just has, like, $7,000 worth of floppies or or
2: cassettes of of the
1: the finest pirated games. And boy, were there good games for that system.
2: I love that system. That's really true. Like, that's really weird, because, like, as... It's funny, because as an IBM owner, I don't know why, but I always physically traded the games. I never made backup copies for myself. I'd, like, trade trade the originals with friends and then get them back. The Commodore 64 people all seem to have, like, this massive, long box of, like, blank disks that they would just, like, constantly write on the label and then scratch out the thing and then write, oh, this is no longer Arkanoid 2. This is now, I don't know, Super Mario Paint or something. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's like... Commodore people like were, were like the biggest software pirates for, and I'm wondering maybe maybe the Commodore 64 just didn't have good copy protection or something. I'm not really sure.
1: Well, I do remember um, Commodore 64 games often saying, you know, cracked by the Dream oh, Team or something that's, like that. That's
2: right. So they did have. So copy there was protected. a
1: huge piracy team. Uh, there was a huge piracy scene. I guess that was facilitated by by modems or something. But yeah. those were pretty
2: rare. Oh, that, that reminds me. Um, I know I might have mentioned this once before, but I should bring it up again. Anytime we talk about Commodore 64, there's only one book everyone needs to read, and it's the funniest, most charming, sweetest, cute book about growing up with a Commodore 64. It's by Rob O'Hara, and it's called uh, Commodore. Mm. Um, and, oh, man, he has, like, the best piracy stories about the Commodore 64 on Earth, and they just kill me every single time.
1: Okay, I totally have to read that. I did include a link to this on Amazon in the show notes a few, yeah. uh, a month ago or so.
2: Yeah, that's right, and oh, I, I, I highly, that. highly, highly recommend it. It's worth it's worth even having a physical copy of, because I've read it, I don't know, seven or eight times in the last ten years, and every time I just, like, kill myself laughing at some of his stories. They really? have to
1: emulate this thing, and I haven't really had a lot of luck emulating it. Um,
2: the so G64. in Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there are emulators for it, and I'm sure I'm just being dumb and thick about it or something, but I just haven't been able to get everything going. So I I have watched recently some uh, YouTube videos of uh, some games, mostly the ones that I remember having played at friends' houses. Um, So Ghostbusters, of course, and G.I. Joe. There's a great G.I. Joe game, which was sort of like Street Fighter 2, but each character had their weapons. That was a really good game. That's Um, right. But one that somebody finished and I remembered not getting too far in it and I was so happy to see them finish. Oh, I can't remember what it was called, but you are a, uh, you're like an old West Sheriff. And
0: okay.
1: It was I don't know, I can't remember what it was called now. Shoot. But you're an old West Sheriff and like somebody will walk up to you and you'll have to sort of determine whether they're friend or foe, and you'll have a little conversation with them and there are dialogue trees and you can say <laughs> No way. Like, def- the friendly thing or the mean thing or the insulting thing. And at any time, you can pull your gun out of the holster and aim your uh, reticle around the screen and oh shoot God. the person if you want to. And I don't that remember whether there was awesome. really... I don't know if there was a penalty for actually killing innocent people or not. We would just kind of play <laughs> it till we got bored. Um, there are a few scenarios where, like, a bank robbery will happen and you'll have to shoot... One or two people or so, and that's the end of the scenario. I'll, if I can find this, I'll uh, stick it in the show notes. It was so much fun though, because it really felt like, uh, like sort of like Grand Theft Auto meets a uh, adventure game in some way. Like you don't actually walk around, but all you do is like talk to someone and shoot them. But it would be like a random encounter with some. I like how this is person. like, that,
2: like this is like Blade Runner Western. It's like you got to determine whether or not they're a replicant, and you have to blow them away if you think they are. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I you know I gotta I gotta find that game. Um, for Commodore sixty four emulators, I highly recommend one called Vice. Um, Hmm. Vice is really really good. Uh, V I C E. Um, Okay. And uh, I can't remember what that stands for, but I think it's you know what it is. I think it stands for Vic. Uh, it's it was actually started off as a Vic Commodore Vic twenty emulator, but Hmm. now it emulates pretty much anything Commodore. Um, Okay. And the, the trick to emulating Commodore is no one ever knows how to interact with a Commodore 64 operating system. I think mm-hmm. the command trolls, please, 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 please write in or send us a quick voicemail, please. If you remember the load command, but I think it's load, and then you put in two double question uh, two double quotation marks, comma, star, comma eight, comma oh, yeah. eight, yeah, yeah. And and I was it like double- comma
0: eight
1: comma one colon or something like that? The- yes. Some, something the like bits, that the bit length of the stop bits or something
2: yeah i think i think eight is the i think you're right i think eight is the length of the uh number of parity bits or whatever it is and then you have one stop bit something right. like that um it's very much like like almost like a modem command um yeah. and that was what always stopped me from getting Commodore 64 stuff loaded um i yeah uh, oh man you're making me want to have like a whole episode on, like, really ancient machines like the Apple II, Commodore 64, that kind of shit because
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, I have, like, such, like, fond memories especially of the Apple II that was in my classroom as a kid. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. so yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Trolls. Please give us, please give us the second half of that story. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, please do.
1: All right. How are we for time? You know what? We have... We have not one but two voicemails from Avi Hayun from Israel. I was definitely wow. planning on playing one. I'm thinking maybe why don't we just uh, play them both and maybe call it a day. How does that sound sure. to you? That sounds <laughs> great. That's great. All right. Uh, let me just load this up. All right. Take it away, Avi.
3: Hi, Squares. It's uh, me again, Avi Hayun, And today I just wanted to... To tell you about something I found online, and to ask you a question. So the first thing is that I found a nice site, I got a new site online. I actually found it at Cast. I think somebody put it on their Facebook page. But um, the site is Daventry Tales. It's something new, it just has a countdown clock, which is set for... To, to expire in 6 days 8 hours 7 minutes and 5 seconds from this from now and i'm not sure but it it writes there that it's a king quest prequel so i'm expecting uh, something new maybe uh, a new uh, a new game and it says that it's a it's a free game a free king quest prequel which sounds great from my uh, point of view <laughs> so i'm really expecting it um Actually, till till you're here, my my if you if you play my voice on uh, Sunday or Monday, till people will hear it, it will be only one or days, uh, one or two days before uh, before the countdown hits uh, zero, and uh, we will see the new site with the with the actual game. So I think it's a uh, it's a good piece of news, although although take it with a grain of salt, as you know that they have some. Uh, um, Criticism about uh, Sierra games, but uh, this is uh, probably a fan remake or not not remake an actual game We'll see. We'll see so I'm expecting to see it and maybe uh, next week. I'll uh, you know even uh, Tell you about what I found find there Uh, That's a piece of news. I found which is i I'm really excited excited about The second thing is actually a question. I wanted to ask you you know every every each week you you tell about the games you played um, the previous week and I'm so envious. I'm talking about good envy because how you know we are from the DOS era, your listeners probably and uh, and you yourself. So which means we aren't uh, we aren't young people. So which means that we have jobs. Some of us are married, maybe kids. How can you find time to uh, play the, those games? That's my question, uh, and I'll be really happy to hear you, about, to hear you talking about it, uh, just, you know, how you prioritize your time and everything. So thank you. Keep it up. I love your show. Avi. <laughs> Thanks uh, a lot, Avi,
2: i <laughs> calling <in. laughs> I've, uh, I've got an answer for you, Avi, a uh, very simple one. Uh, marriage, work, kids… These are the three demons you need to slay in order to be able to play games. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I um I, I I honestly have the same um problem, to be honest. I um I don't have a lot of play, time to play games and um and I've got a very, very busy work life and a very busy relationship and busy life and like all of us do. Um and so what I do is I squeeze in very intense moments of games and I've for me, um, it's like this one hour before bed usually, um, or one hour in bed where I can finally just you know, do you know, just, just play something really, really quick and have a really, really good time and then put it away, and I might not be able to get back at it for a few more days, but what I've really learned to enjoy as like when I was back at 14, 15 years old, I would just grind through a game and I could get through it in a week. Um, now what I've really learned is the pleasures of playing games very slowly. Um, you know, it took me five months to finish Quest for Glory 1 VGA. It um, took me four months or so for Ultima 7, which I actually consider to be quite a feat, because that's a pretty long game. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? When, when do you manage to uh, squeeze in time? Because you're even busier than me.
1: Well, I don't know, I manage. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so, I'm I'm married, no kids, and um, I'm so unbelievably lucky, I mean, first of all, to be uh, married to the best friend I ever had, but mm-hmm. also, Aww. of course, that uh, my wife is just as much of a gamer as I am, and pretty much, uh, well, I wouldn't say she always has been, she, her, I think her first machine was a uh, Pentium 1, these are the okay. important intimate details that you have to uh, that, establish. you got to work so that out early other... in a relationship. I know that was very important. So I mean in our early days of dating I would bring my computer over to her house and we would play multiplayer games with each other oh, apartments, man. and then bring it back home again. It was it was uh arduous and heavy
2: but it was <laughs> and you well guys worth moved in together when you both had the same computers on the on the same desk.
1: Well and now that we're married, we still have our computers side by side on the <laughs> same desk. So we play games together all it. the time. This is the this is uh, our primary uh, entertainment activity is to play games, either with each oh. other directly, or one of us will play and the other will just watch. Or we like we like playing um, adventure games. Boy, did we have fun when um, we were into the new Salmon Max uh, episodic oh, series yeah. from Telltale. We would just like wait with bated breath for the next episode to finally be released. It would come out, and we would just sit there and like collaborate with each other. And it's so much more interesting and engaging than a TV show because we have to participate and we have to uh, think about the logical. Uh, Solutions, or I don't know if "logic" is the right term for a Simon Max (laughs) game, because those are uh, really like uh, those are uh, really off the wall and zany. But um, (laughs) we love just love this uh, as a hobby together. We like playing multiplayer games with each other, mostly co-op games, or we like racing games with each other. but, uh, you know, we, we also we don't have a television. We, um, ah. we moved into our apartment almost ten years ago. My parents were kind enough to buy us a little TV and uh, pay for our first six months or so of uh, cable wow. access. And we barely turned the thing on. There were like three shows that we would watch and we would maybe watch like 2 hours of television a week or so and we're like well th- we're paying so m- it'll it'll cost us so much money to maintain this forget this oh, yeah. and just unplug the cable so we had all of our game consoles plugged into the TV anyway and we rarely even <laughs> turned those on as well cuz i mean we had the emulators and it was good and it's not the same but it's good enough and the sure. little TV we had was not- it was kind of a lousy little TV it was like not enjoyable to look at even so mm-hmm. um a f- couple of years ago we just took that almost brand new TV still, and we just threw it in the garbage. We just threw it in the back of our building, and we took away our whole entertainment uh, center out of a corner and we just put a lamp there so that we can read instead. Wow. It's very liberating, I think, living without television. I see just very little value in owning it and when when we have kids hopefully in a a year or two perhaps um we -hmm. want to bring them up in a house that doesn't have a television also and we'd love to participate in interactive entertainment with them but also just the quiet things like sitting on the couch and reading for a while or reading to each other
2: that's funny um i found the same thing too i mean we don't watch any tv my girlfriend really really likes tv but i don't and we don't also have cable so we tend to watch movies and um I find these days that what I most enjoy is, yeah, reading. Um, and it's funny. I find the more I read, um, it, this is a really weird thing. This is kind of reminds me of um, people who, um, if you, the best, okay, this is really this is going to sound so weird, and it has nothing to do with our podcast, but I, want, I always wanted to teach people the best way to lose weight, if you ever want to lose weight in your life, is to start eating really tasty food. Um, right, right it's kind of weird, like you start all of a sudden eating a really good tasting stuff you don 't want to eat a lot of it because it 's like buying expensive chocolate it 's like you just kind of like nibble away at it and just like savor every moment um, and I find that the less time I have, the more I savor those game experiences, and the more I tend to read good books um, and the more I read books, the more I really, really love really good games, so I tend to only play good games and not um, you know not. Um, not waste my time with anything that's going to be you know boring or shitty or whatever it is and um so i don't know i um, i definitely have different time constraints than you uh you guys all but um most of my because most of my days spent outside working outdoors so uh, when i get in um, i'm ready to either sleep or eat or both and um finding that one hour a day or even 20 minutes a day to play even a little something is something i just i just love when i finally get the chance to do it
1: oh yeah yeah, me, I'm sure I spend three or four hours a day playing games. Wow, that's reading, really good.
0: That's great. Which is a
1: lot. It's a that's lot. Amazing. I, I love doing that, so what the heck? I'm a grown up, so it's time for me to do the childish things, right? That's our prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. and um, I, by the way, I've looked up this uh, DaVentry Tales, and I can't oh. really make heads or tails of it just peeking at it, but it looks like it's a fan made interactive story, which is a prequel oh. to King's Quest, something like that. Pretty interesting.
2: Is so, um, it? Um, th- are there any screenshots available yet?
1: No, not really. It's just a whole bunch of text, which kind of makes me think that maybe it's either uh. a text adventure or an interactive novel or something. Oh, that's kind like of interesting. that. I guess kind of neat. So we'll take a look at it. I'll put it in the show notes anyway because there's no counter. I guess uh, in our in our week away from podcasting, it's been released. I suppose.
2: Or yeah, at least revealed. I'm very curious. Um, I, thanks so much for letting us know, Abby. I, I can't wait to find out more about this. I'm, yeah. you know, as much shit as I talk about. Sierra Games and everyone talks about Sierra Games. I actually really love Sierra Games and I even really love the King's Quest series. Um, so I, I can't wait to find out. Especially, King's Quest has like the most, next to Space Quest, has the most devoted fans I have ever seen in game series. Um, it seems like they, they just like are able to release King's Quest remake after remake after remake uh, and still mm. pump this up.
1: Right, right. I guess the culmination of that is the Himalaya people. Exactly. Yeah. Spent so many years doing that just so meticulously. That's just very impressive for a fan project. Unbelievably impressive.
2: Yeah, and I always um, hate calling them fan projects because they're like they're you know they're they're all, I don't know what to call it. They're they're studios of their own. They just happen to work on other people's IPs. Um, they're they're well, and they did it for free too, and it was yeah. not
1: licensed either, right? So I guess that's a fan project. Exactly.
2: Yeah, it just feels like it's such a cheap cheapening of, of all of the effort they put into it, because those game, those remakes are incredible.
1: It's true, they're better than, than probably most uh, commercial adventure yeah, games, just in their absolutely. production. It's very impressive.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. I personally haven't really met all that many King's Quest fans. I have people who bought ah. the King's Quest games who played them, but didn't really get all that attached to them, and I mean, that's my impression of them. As well, I'm glad that I played them, but I don't really get that nostalgic about them because of the very many frustrations I've had with some bits of them. I guess that really <laughs> sours it for me. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I have lots of friends who are adventure game fans, and I'm hoping maybe, maybe even next week we can uh, bring one of them uh, on as one of our guests, perhaps. That would Although, be awesome. Not, not to talk about that. We'll see. All right, we have
2: one last word from Bobby. Have,
1: one last word for Avi, and then I think we're going to call it a podcast. So sure. where I uh, put this on. All right, Mr. Avi, thank you so much as always, very, very much for your emails and for your calls. Let's put the second one on.
3: Hi, Squares, how are you? It's uh, Avi Chayun here. Um, I was sorry not to hear this week. Um, I really missed you, <laughs> and um, and my last um, voicemail that I sent you uh, about uh, a week ago. I didn't mention the online MMOs I played, so I thought, you know, just to add another voicemail, so now you'll have two of me in the same show, which is uh, kind of cool. And um, I could tell you about my experience with MMOs. So, actually, my experience isn't so vast in MMOs. I, uh, like every gamer that respects himself, I also played uh, World of War- Warcraft. But uh, you know, there's a, the first stage is the, the, the tw- to, to get to, to level 20, it's for free. So I did the, the first 20, 20 le- levels, and I just hate to pay for a monthly subscription. Um, it's not that I'm cheap. Maybe I'm a little cheap, but uh, it's not the issue. I just hate paying monthly subscriptions. I, I just so I just um, I, I I began with World of Warcraft and. I, it got lost. It's so vast. I just got lost. So I found this small um, application. That. Um, is, it gives gives you. A, 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 an additional map. It's like a plugin. Into World of Warcraft. That it gives you an additional map. And tells you where to go. To maximize your levels. As, fa- as fast as possible. So you just. You just tell it. I want to maximize my levels. And it's. It tells you where to go, where you'll find the next mission, which is which is the most uh, will will gain the most um, experience, so you can level up uh, very fast. And I got to level 20 quite quickly, and then I stopped because uh, in the free free uh, subscription you can't uh, go over level 20, and I never continued continued that. Um, that game, it was it's it was also too um, level grinding for me. Maybe because I played it with that application that uh, got me to the places where I got most uh, experience, and it was uh, very very grinding to get to the levels. But uh, that's my uh, my uh, MMO experience, which isn't so uh, so big. I actually it, the, the the game I play the most is actually an online game. It I, I'm not even sure it has a an offline mode. It's um, it's called Nuclear Dawn. It's an FPS actually. It's an FPS with an RTS. So it's you, the commander has can uh, can do can build build building extract strategy like, and the other players um, they play an, FP, an FPS FPS mode. It's very cool. It's it's really a very cool game. It's from uh, it's not it's not retro game. It's uh, 2011 something like that. It came out and. Uh, and um, unfortunately, the the company um, Interwave, I think, um, never uh, it it stopped about a year ago. They went under or something. But uh, people have servers of this game game, and it's still uh, very it's it's still active. And I think it's an amazing game, Nuclear Dawn. That's another game, but it's it's not actually an MMO. I think if you define MMO, um it's it should be for masses and uh, this game is uh, you know two groups each can get up to uh 20 players or something like that so it's not exactly mmo but it's an online game i think if you if you are talking about mmos you, you should talk about also the aspects why mmos are so appealing and and of course it's an, it's online so and with other other play, players so one of the most appealing sides of MMOs is playing with other human beings, and um, contacting, talking to others. You know, every two or three games they play, someone uh, throws into the chat. Everyone then um, click and uh, t- type. From which country are you on? Are you from? You know, and you, you see, you see, an, an, a game really international. Some, someone from the states, Canada, Israel, uh, Germany. Everyone and playing in the same team. It's it's really great. The communication thing, um, communicating with other people all around the globe, is I think the most appealing aspect of uh, of an online game. I think MMOs have another aspect of uh, something like uh, like real life. Um, you talked about it uh, I think in the last episode about uh, fishing and uh, or mining or having uh, really having a career in the game, and you can really have a second life. Uh, a virtual life in those uh, in those games, so that's actually also quite cool. Okay, keep it up. I'm I'm really waiting to hear you uh, this episode, and and I really hope it will uh, it will you will record one uh, this week. Thank you very much. Bye. Oh, thanks
1: a lot, Avi. <laughs> uh, we we missed you too in our week uh, away. We'll try. We'll so try so glad to hear let from you again. twice.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, really glad. Um, so Avi met, Avi brings up. Two things. Number one, um, he kind of I he mentioned something that echoes what I said previously about Guild Wars in terms yep. of subscription fees and I said that you know, it's significant it's significant that you can play the game as little as you want to. And I think that's just an important philosophy of a game, that you don't feel pressured to Absolutely. get your money's worth every month. Like that was that was more important to me before. I guess when I when when i think i figure that i've i've paid 15 dollars or more for games that i've barely played cuz i didn't like them so if i'm going to spend 15 dollars on games in a month i may as well play something that i already know that i like uh, and um yes. World of Warcraft, oh, that's just such a great game for leveling, and Joe mentioned before that he kind of played that game until the Cataclysm expansion, which, for those that don't know, um, you know, World of Warcraft, I think the maximum level now is level 100, um, and originally it was level 60. Um, and with every expansion they added 10 or 5 more levels onto your maximum character Um, so over the years the first 60 levels became like really antiquated and old fashioned and grindy and just an example of some of the poorer really old fashioned uh, leveling design and so when the Cataclysm expansion came out it was so called because the uh, the old world, the original content all got destroyed by this big dragon and so the world that part of the world had completely changed and so at that point they revamped and modernized all of the level one to 60 content and it's so so good um it's pretty common for me to like create a a character in that game get them to level 60 or 58 or so and then Mm -hmm. just leave them there because that's like my favorite content in the game now is the stuff that i kind of dreaded and wanted to get through so quickly oh that's Um, great yeah so I don't know for those for those that can spare the fifteen dollars a month or if you were thinking about playing something for that much money, you really can't go wrong playing World of Warcraft and just like like you say, taking your time. Yeah, seeing the sights and like, don't worry about the levels. It's they the level, the level stuff is always front and center, and they are always trying to incentivize you to get better and get stronger and get faster or whatever. But just like stop and smell the roses, like a great example yes. of this was uh, a photo gallery that my wife found and showed me and I thought was hilarious. And this photo gallery was called The Ceilings of WoW. And this is a photo gallery of someone who just kind of took the time to go into a building and look up at the ceiling. And there was so much, like, there were stained glass things, and like this really (laughs) ornate woodwork and stuff like that. Things that most people, you know, one of the biggest problems in uh, 3D game design is getting players to look up. Yeah, and so the fact that they just took so much time that they have people like imagine like someone's full time job is to make ceilings of buildings that like less than one percent of people will ever see, but they <sighs> really poured <sighs> their heart into just the mastery of this craft, and so it's that's just one example of infinite examples of like the time that you can spend just appreciating the environment and the sights. It's you the know, same way that I play uh, Grand Theft Auto.
2: That reminds me of one thing that WoW does um, that very few other games did really well. WoW makes really good use of verticality in its level design. Um, most towns, places, you can just find a way to go up somehow. Um, whether it's running around circular staircases um, or you know jumping your way up onto places that you shouldn't normally be able to get up to, but they've somehow set it up so it's possible. Um, or even getting up on uh, little taxis and flying from place to place, the game feels really tall, um, mm-hmm. and it makes Azeroth kind of just magical. It makes it feel very kind of epic and, and and amazing. And it's not Ultima Online, unfortunately, is a very flat game. You know, it's isometric, so you're never really seeing any um, uh, verticality. EverQuest, in my opinion, same thing, very very flat game. Um, mm-hmm. But for some reason, Wow, they just. Nailed it. They're like, yeah, we want to make this feel like you're, you're in this treetop jungle with little uh, rope ladders connecting places to places and make you want to explore from place to place or find a little elevator, little wooden elevator that lets you go down the tree. Um, I love that. They do such a good job with that. Um, it's funny. It's such
1: a nice extension of um, when they went to 3D in World in uh, Warcraft Three. Exactly. They started just the very first hints of that, and then to see all that realized in in a whole landscape that just keeps going. That's exactly. an important thing. I agree. Yeah,
2: and it's funny because, it, like, if I think about a game like Skyrim, it has none of that kind of verticality. I mean, it has great mountain climbing and that kind of stuff, um, but the The places you're at never feel very vertical and for some reason wow just takes that fantasy world and explodes it and i think yeah it's a totally smell the roses kind of experience now and i think it's that's its best that's the best part of wow now in my opinion
1: i think so too it is like they first and foremost i think they stay true to the game which is the world of warcraft like the Mm -hmm. world is the star of the show
2: yeah exactly
1: and that's kind of accentuated now, by the way, that uh, also th- something they added in the Cataclysm expansion was the ability to use a flying mount in yes, the original that's content, right. because this actually reminded me of all things, I'm not really a Mac guy, but it, there's one uh, quote by Steve Jobs that I really like, and he talks about like painting the back of something that gets pushed ah. against the wall, because you'll never see it, but you as the designer, you know that that's it's... Right. That, it's polished yeah and so that's kind of an uh, analogy for in world of warcraft Boy, they couldn't have flying mounts at first because if there's a mountain they would only render the side of the mountain that you could see and the other exactly. side would just have no textures no polygons even it would be like this hollow facade and so that's something that they had to think about and redesign entirely because if you're on a flying mount you can see everything from every angle so it's that sort of steve jobs craftsmanship, you might say that they've that they've had to polish the game with since then
2: I really like that. I think, if, if I remember correctly, it was actually <laughs> Steve Jobs trying to justify why the hell his next computer was so expensive. Um, right. <laughs> because uh, he insisted on having the inside of the computer look beautiful. And I can <laughs> say, as a next computer owner, it is fucking beautiful inside. <laughs> You'll mm-hmm. never see a more spacious, Excellently crafted interior of a computer. I think it's made out of magnesium. Um, oh, that's the cube. Yeah, it's a cube, and the interior is not crammed with parts. It, the air flows around it perfectly. Everything is put in a logical order, and it makes like a mini ATX case look like a pile of puke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy stuff. Um, I, I love I love that approach to to craftsmanship i think that's the i think that's by default the best way to live
1: oh sure that was something that came to mind when my wife bought uh her new power supply because oh. it came with these velcro cable ties and i'm like that's just such a oh, smart that's such a nice thing touch. to include like it's it's totally unnecessary but it's yep. just a little flourish that kind of lets you do your job a little bit more professionally as an enthusiast i appreciate that so much
2: i love it that's great
1: Oh, and one other thing before we adjourn that Ari brings up is kind of the question of, and it's a good note to leave off on, I guess, the question of what makes multiplayer special? What's significant and different about massively multiplayer online games? Um, And, I mean, we've touched on that in a lot of ways. We talked Mm -hmm. about the role-playing and collaboration and fearing your fellow players and and enjoying your fellow players. Um, But one point that he brings up about uh, knowing that you're playing with people from around the world. And this is something that we've talked about too. I talked about my experience playing with uh, someone from Japan uh, in uh, dungeon siege. Um, there's one (laughs) game that, uh, I love and played the heck out of, which is called Trackmania nations. It's by a French company called Nadio. Okay. Um, it's a free racing game, but it's kind of like a hot wheels, uh, crazy track kind of a game. Um, Uh, So it's a racing game. It's uh, not online only, but the only stuff that's really worthwhile is the online stuff, um, where you and a bunch of strangers from around the world are racing along this track, and whoever gets the fastest lap time wins. Um, And they're mostly like these trick tracks, and the vast majority of the content is just user-created content with their excellent track design software. So they just do all these really crazy tricks and turns and jumps and like, ah. really insane hackery to make extremely cool. creative, very strange and challenging and wonderful like death-defying tracks with stunts and stuff on them. Um, <laughs> but in this game, by default, uh, you, so you set up a, a profile for yourself, and by default, your car is colored according to your country of origin which oh, is so cool nice. because you'll, you can see visually where another person in the world I is from. I love that idea. I love it. It's a great idea, and I mean, they support like a hundred countries or something like that. So they went, they took the time to design like a hundred color schemes for their default car, which is so, so super cool. And it really does kind of give you a feeling of competition and of community. and Like you'll, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, the it's you feel good when like uh, you uh, beat an American, and the Americans like, hey, good job, good race, good going, <laughs> stuff like that. Sometimes there's a rivalry, and sometimes there's camaraderie. I love it.
2: Oh, I, I you know, me too. It's funny, Avi, you brought up that. The whole social communication thing, it's always really, really mattered to me that I knew what country people were from that I talked to, because I was Canadian, and at the time, Canada did not have the best internet uh, connectivity. You know, the internet uh, was uh, a United States thing for the longest time. Um, mm-hmm. So so me being Canadian on the internet was a big deal, because I talked to people, they're like, wow, you're from Canada, you know, do you have igloos and dog sleds up there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And what I got excited about was I'd be on IRC channels. This was all the same time I played MMOs. And I'd get to meet people from, like, Thailand. And I remember there was this Thai player um, who hung on the IRC channel with me. His name is Mana. Oh, sorry. No, no. Mana was, was from Italy. He was Italian. It was a very international channel I hung out on. Um, I can't remember the guy from Thailand's name. But I, I, I he was like, oh, you're Canadian. He's like, hey, there's a famous Thai guy from Canada. His name is... Um, uh um David um oh shit, he played for the band uh oh my god, i can um um uh, moist, do you remember moist from the nineties oh yeah uh huh. david uh oh shit, David usher, um I'm like <laughs> David usher is Thai and he's like, yeah, he is, he's like he's like a c- celebrity in Thailand, and I'm like, oh my god, that's crazy so huh? and and it was just little connections like that, I remember I had this. Love-hate relationship with this guy named Avitus. Um, he was he he was a uh, uh, a gamer from Tasmania, um, and him and I. It, this is pathetic now that I think about it. It was like 14, 15 years old. Him and I were like always kind of secretly competing with each other for the attentions of these wily women in our channel. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're both about the same age, and I, I remember really loving that I knew a guy from Tasmania, and you know, and he went on to become this. This, I think, this rich like internet service provider um, guru, um, and you know there were people. There was, I think, I mentioned the, the guy who turned out to be David Bowie's son. Um, you right. know, I, I love knowing that he was from the UK, and there was oh yeah, that really mattered to me. And it wasn't it wasn't until much much later in my adult years that I got to finally hear people's voices. Um, and which, which was even better, because then, you know, you could finally, I love when we get voicemails because you can actually hear, like, oh, wow, Abby's in Israel, like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is what Abby sounds like, or this is what Joe sounds like, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think it's just, like, a, been, become a really, really important part of, uh, you know, making connections with other people, is just hearing their voices. And I'm Absolutely.
1: really,
2: really glad that and the... MMOs have added voice chat support.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that reminds me. I need to try the new EverQuest game called EverQuest Next when that comes out, because oh, they're going to work some... That's, they, they're working that's it, coming out. It, on this technology. Yeah, they're doing this technology that uses webcams and microphones. You're kidding. Um, the micro, with the microphone, when you do voice chat, it'll lip-sync your character's <laughs> lips to what you're saying. And what's more, with your webcam... Uh, similar to uh, the No Track IR software yep. that uh, Joe and I have both mentioned, it detects like your the position of your eyes and oh, your man. chin and your mouth, and so it will actually do facial expressions that that's you are emoting into crazy. your webcam. It'll put that onto your character. It's so I've seen tech demos. It's so so awesome to see. Oh, it really breathes life into what it. What a humanity. great idea! And
2: that's just fun, right? Like that, like that just Super
1: automatically fun. makes the game fun. That's so cool. I know. It's like MMO Teddy Ruxpin, sort of. <laughs> Super cool.
2: Uh, for anybody who's denied the use of a Teddy Ruxpin in their childhood, <laughs> I I feel sad for you. Um, I,
1: I never had one, but you abuse them. You don't use them.
2: Exactly. It, I, what I did is I ripped all the guts out of it, and uh, <laughs> uh, long story. I'll tell you another time. Um, <laughs> My Malibu Stacy sounds funny. My spider sense is tingling. <laughs> My spider sense is tingling. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, what a, great, uh, what a great way to catch up with our, our our wonderful, love lovely friends.
1: That's right. Catching up, and yet I feel more behind than ever. But what the hell. It's been uh, great to talk to you, Chris, and it's been so great hearing from everybody. I love that this podcast has kind of become a, a collaborative effort and not just uh, the two
2: of us. Exactly
1: gums love it so if anyone ever has anything to say about uh topics old or new or uh anything that we haven't yet thought to to discuss uh we totally encourage you to uh call in with your uh your uh, voicemails via email or uh, write us a letter or whatever yeah or if you want to be on the
2: show just get a hold of us and we would love to talk with you live i mean that's what makes everything wonderful
1: absolutely so um, why don't we leave it at that. Um, you can uh, Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. You can catch us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email, squarefm at demodulated.com, and on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. Um, And I will very most certainly, in addition to our regular show notes, include a little something about uh, what we'd love to hear from our uh, listeners. If you'd like to contribute to our MPC magazine, maybe we'll call it issue number (laughs) negative one or something like that. That sounds great.
2: (laughs) I like it. Negative
1: one, done. Yeah, And I'll also... um, scan to a PDF or two images or something, uh, the previous edition, just so that everybody can benefit from that, whether they have a physical copy or not. I think the statute of limitations is uh, is uh, good enough at this point for those who have gotten perfect. to enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Well, pleasure as always, Chris. Really good to talk to you.
2: You too, Brian. Everyone, have a wonderful week. I hope you have a great time with like your family, friends, or yourself, or your games.
1: Or all of the above.
2: Yes. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.